Everybody and welcome to an interseason episode of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers Ward, and joining me, also as always, it's Matthew Stogden. Be without fear in the face of bad movies. Safeguard the audience. Never compromise, even if it leads you to your death. That is your oath, Jack. Ah, Jesus Christ! What and, was that for? And that is so you don't forget it. Rise, a sequelizer. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I deserve that. Your face has gone a bit red now, sorry. Speaking of people who have red faces and deserve things, it's Tim Mayton. It's like Napoleon. When he was the king, you know, people were just constantly trying to conquer him, you know, in the Roman Empire. So it's history sequelizing itself all over again. <laughs> You're not wrong, Tim. <laughs> You're not wrong. Except in all the ways that I am. <laughs> well, folks, we are in fact talking about historical films this week. Once again, it's a fairly broad topic. We've, we've done this a couple of times this interseason mm. where we're going to get into all the different definitions and types and subgenres and some of the more explored historical places and less explored historical periods and all kinds of stuff throughout the episode, including, and here's a little extra interseason-y kind of thing, actually coming up with little mini pitches of our own for some historical films yeah. in the second half. You get an extra bonus, but you've already had the fucking cliffhanger extra pitches from the end of season. <laughs> You're getting more extra interseason pitches now as well. We can't stop giving ourselves more work. I know, right? Always this, pitching. This is the <laughs> time we're meant to be writing the next season's pitches, and we're Oof. all just doing other stuff. Yep. By this point, I usually would have written all the pitches for season 11. Haven't. Because <laughs> I've been like, how many pitches in the interseason? <laughs> Better get to those. <laughs> well, yeah, we will be getting to all of that, like I said full mini pitches from the, all three of us in mm. the second half. Before we get to any of that stuff, let's give a little lovely thanks to the fantastic people at patreon.com slash sequelizers. You make this show possible. Thank you for your support. And if you want to go join the fantastic people that are there, you can get ad-free episodes, early access to episodes, exclusive merch, discounts on merch, full bonus interseason episodes, outtakes during the main season, movie commentaries during the main season. It's a cavalcade of sequelizers bonus content. It's a library of Alexandria oh! of audio delights. It's stuff. It is. It's all three of those things. That's all I've got to say. Yeah. But yes, you get the entire back catalogue of all of that stuff if you do go and support us right now. You get all the previous movie commentaries. We did three throughout season 10. We'll be doing more during season 11, mm. and you get bonus episodes throughout the end season here as well. It's a lot of fun. And like we say pretty much every episode, we don't half-ass the end season episodes that are exclusive to Patreon. They're as much an episode as these ones are that mm. go out on the main podcast feeds. We don't just kind of like, ah, oh, we'll just chuck 20 minutes up and it'll be fine mm. whenever. It's a full like hour and a half, two hour proper episode of Sequelizers. So if you're all caught up and you need a few extra episodes to listen to and you're not already on Patreon, it's a good way to go. If, if and, you've never been on Patreon before and you were to join today, you would have so many weeks of things to catch <laughs> up with that you would lose. And as people have, lost track of the main season. He's like, oh, hang on, I need to catch up with stuff. There is so much content. Yeah, during the main seasons, we will do 
like at least half an hour, usually more like an hour of bonus content every week. That's like as much as some other podcasts put out full stop. Yep. And that's just our that's just our bonus our our extra stuff we craft especially for you. Mm. And also our terrible mistakes that we <laughs> craft also, also especially that. for you. <laughs> some of the horrible, terrible things we can't let go to air that aren't behind a paywall. Yeah. You get to hear that as well. We fuck up our lines as we're reading our pitches. We say the wrong names for things. We just babble on about nonsense. We play. We played entire like card games and board games and stuff. Yeah. We had Matt's wife on as a guest. Emma Jane was here. Yeah. We played a Mean Girls game that was very cruel and very mean, borderline racist. From Matthew. No, Stockton. it was hideously offensive. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just straight. Let's, up, let's just not straight even try and soften it. It was bad. <laughs> Um, we, but yeah, we play games. We've uh, had discussions, conversations, things that aren't even related to movies. That like just, it's it's the part of the podcast that is, um, it's it's the sister podcast of a twin podcast of the outtake sometimes because it's just like what other podcasts mm. tend to be: answer mates hanging out talking about stuff. It's where you can find out how we each like to wipe our ass. That's actually unfortunately yeah, true. Do, yeah, Christ, yeah. <laughs> I did the whole do you sit or stand, and then we had a whole conversation. And yeah, hopefully, yeah. listeners, you've just thought, wait a minute, what? Exactly. If that, if exactly. that hasn't put you off, <laughs> become a Patreon supporter. Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to listen to yeah. it. Only, only the finest scatological content on our Patreon, apparently. Jesus. Pretty much. So yeah, go to patreon.com slash sequelizers for all of your scatological goodness. That's not a thing, don't worry. Well, it is a little bit. And who are the who are the most scatological people supporting <laughs> us? <laughs> the people who go to the highest of the tiers become executive producers. Scat happy peepees. It hmm. the executive producers for this week are James McDowell. I've heard of you. Xenos. <laughs> Jonathan Firth Clark. Marcus Lindstrom. Stuart Maine. This treaty makes you a servant of the British Empire. You have wrapped yourself in a fucking Union Jack. The butcher's apron, boy. Josh Miles. You're forgetting your place, boy. As far as I can tell, my place is right here on the smart end of this rifle. Josh Van der Sluis. C'est pas vrai, tu le sais bien. Mais moi, je suis pur comme de l'eau de roche. And Philip Morgan. Thank you, executive producers. Like we said, you make this show possible, as does everyone on patreon.com slash sequelizers. We very much appreciate your support. And we've actually got a couple of Patreon executive producer picks throughout the end of season. We have been talking mm-hmm. about the season 11 picks with the executive producers recently as well. <sighs> Can it get worse than Paul Blart Mall Cop 2, as suggested by Josh Miles? Maybe it can. <laughs> Season 11 has some big fucking stinkers in there as well. So, yeah. yeah. And in fact, next week's episode is the episode voted on 
by the patrons. Yes. So you get that as the end season, and you also get that in the main season as well. You get to vote and help decide. Even if you're not an executive producer, you still have the power to control an episode per season and interseason as well. And uh, yeah, we have one of our biggest ever interseason episodes, which is the penultimate of this interseason, which is another EP pick as well. I've completely forgotten what that is, but I'm just going to go, ooh. Oh. <laughs> Matt's excited. He's forgotten. I have. <laughs> if I can tease you, then hopefully the listeners are excited yeah. as well. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued, and I probably and I, know what it is somewhere. I think this is the longest Patreon ad we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving it all in. Please do. So, yeah. um, but also remember that ultimately... It, it, Resistance is are, futile. And, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's coming in your ears. But at the same time, we absolutely understand how difficult it is around the world, fiscally and otherwise, right oh, now. Don't we just? And the fact is that the patrons... Uh, if you cannot afford to join them, there is no shame, no pressure, because those who can keep the show free for everyone else. And that is, you know, that level of support is, is fantastic. So that's why we're also one of the reasons we do these shout outs, because um, yeah. everyone gets to listen for free because of that. So everybody's everyone's happy. Everyone's good. Exactly. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some periods of time where maybe people weren't happy or good. I want to make a bold statement. Okay. I think all period dramas across all countries oh. who produce cinema is purely down to the education system of the country of origin of the writer and director and the studio producing yeah. it whereby yeah. anytime you get it um as we will see in the second half of this episode there are so many interesting stories throughout time the human existence has painted stories that are captivating and enchanting and amazing and usually through common experience rather than fucking the most recorded, most uh, celebrated individuals specifically. But if your history for the audience and for those who are working in the industry is dictated by here are the five things you learn about in school, guess what you're going to be seeing reflected in the cinema? Same goddamn things over and over and over. Yeah, because it's, it's often... It's not necessarily because because you can have a writer or a director who's like, oh, I went out there, I did this reading, you know, I read this great historical novel or this great like real life history book about this obscure thing, you know, I'm really a, a big history buff. I went out, researched it, even went to like going down to primary sources and all this kind mm -hmm. of stuff. Looked at all these rel uh, you know, articles and archives, whatever. Here's this great script, and a director can be like, oh, great. And then you get to the production, the executives, the marketing people, and they go, yeah, but most people don't know about this stuff. I, I don't think it will sell. And that God film never it. gets made. Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Goddamnly. And even if it does, sometimes make compromises. Well, can we change this? Can we change this? Can we change this? And mm. I was like, eh, it's not the same story anymore, but sure we can. And you end up with a bastardized version and everybody mm. says, that's not the real story. And you get basically hung, drawn, and quartered for it. Mm. So it is, it's, it's, it's such a lose-lose battle. And that's the nature of industry, right? You're trying to supply and demand, mm. um, but you end up pleasing nobody. Mm. Unle unless, and there are a handful of individuals, you command so much power that you can make this story. Mm. Because who the fuck would turn you down? Um, I'm not saying, uh, we'll come back to this in a minute, actually, but to... to um, to use my opening quote, for example, Ridley Scott, yeah. 
he mm. kind of does whatever the fuck he wants to do yeah. and he does but his again his is still dictated by he grew up in britain and mm. he grew up with sword and sandal films he's trying to resurrect them all the time but there are very few films about the crusades mm. um and i always champion kingdom of heaven because mm-hmm. it is, and I absolutely acknowledge boycott it. Boycott and non-boycott. Boycott, uh, boycott no, yep, yep. I'm a boycott man. Boycott. Myself, <laughs> you know. yep. Non-boycott is still a serviceable I'm movie. I'm not circumcised, but I'm a boycott man. <laughs> but boycott is the best. Um, it's cleaner. Um, and basically... <laughs> Fewer STDs. I'm yeah. But basically, um, the, the, the positioning of that film specifically was during, I think, th- uh, I want to say three or four years after 9-11. And it was like, what's the story about? It's about Christians and Muslims. Like, oh, Jesus. Mm. Okay, what's it about? About how no one's right and people die for the wrong causes. Oh, uh, <laughs> you mean, but, but the Christians win in the end, right? Kind of, but not really. Uh, how do you mean not really? They lose Jerusalem at the end. It's like, oh, fuck. It's like, well, we shouldn't serve us. It's like, well, okay. Are the good guys and bad guys? On both sides. And it's like, yeah, we're not ready for this film. But it's, again, it's not the perfect film. It's not, the, but it, it gave a platform to it. It's a huge, huge budget movie. Uh, with amazing actors and it's showing a part of history that is just too big sometimes to tell as the Crusades. So, I mean, it's about the Crusades multiple things. Um, but only because Ridley Scott had come off the back of things like Gladiator and could do whatever the fuck he wanted to do, basically. Mm. And even then the studio went, nah, cull that back. Let's remove some of that. This is too long, too much set up. How long is the film? Three and a half hours. Fuck off. <laughs> Get rid of that boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cut that. Boy. <laughs> and then we can all agree on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we, we talked about this in our Based on a True Story episode, a couple of interseasons back. And it's the thing of reality is complex. History is complex. There's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially kind of like the further you get back, the, le- the less we understand stuff, but also even very recent stuff. There's so many different angles and things playing into it and, you know, sort of perspectives that aren't considered and stuff that most historical events are incredibly complex and require context that can stretch back hundreds of years to, you know, you take the Crusades, for example. It's like, okay, but to really understand this conflict, you need to understand, like, what was going on in Europe at the time, what was going on in the Middle East at the time, what was going on, uh, you know, what... Uh, how religion was playing into absolutely it, how trade was playing into this all these kind of things climate uh, you know the oh you know it turns out you know certain things even looking at quite modern day it's like oh yeah you know the reason that that you know certain conflicts have happened is because there was a drought which meant that people mm-hmm. headed to the cities you know because the farmland wasn't working so they were like well we still need a job and then you have more people in the cities which you know can lead to like new populations conflicts between them and suddenly you've got a civil war and it's like because there was a drought yeah and there's which is all... summarized in one block of text at the yeah. start saying this has happened you got it good yeah. let's go and we try and take that incredibly complex reality and make it fit the shape of a story which we like when it has a hero and a mm. villain and if there's a bad thing happening, it's because of one thing that we can point at and go, yep. there is the bad thing. And mm-hmm. we need to solve that problem or kill that dude. Um, and the truth is that most historical things are far more complex than that. And the world is yes. so interconnected and interwoven. And so there's very few, you know, simple stories out there mm-hmm. uh, in history. 
but you know we we'll take any that we can make simple and god damn we'll tell them over and over again <laughs> <laughs> and the fact that this kind of thing though those big like impactful moments in society's histories then get retold through fiction and stuff like that so you see like oh yeah there's this there's this big thing and uh, it's a big like fantasy thing it's like was that inspired by a real thing that happened like oh yeah yeah, yeah. there's yeah. a thing that happened like 300 years ago like game of thrones is a perfect um, example um, yeah, of, like, exactly like, everybody's talking about oh politics oh it's so like game of thrones it's like Game of Thrones is based on a bunch of British history from like four or five. It's like yeah. it's War of the Roses, basically, and it's a watered down version. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that's again talking about the complexity there. Like even people are like, oh, there's too many characters. There's too many things going on in Game of Thrones. There's poisonings and somebody's off over there in a different bit with the desert and dragons and shit. I don't know what's going on. Like real life is really fucking complicated. Like you said, there's resources. There's politics. There's like. I don't know, sex and stuff going on and all kinds of different factors play into yeah. this thing. Mm. And you get this like filter that is the winner's right history. It's been mm-hmm. true mm. for as long as humans have been writing things down, basically. Mm-hmm. It's the people that do the writing and the recording of the history. It's inherently biased and filtered through them. Whether that's the fucking scholars from ancient Greece or the people, us, you know, are essentially grandparents and stuff like that talking about the world war two and all that kind of thing we see it as like oh the good old war we beat jerry and blah blah blah. And it's like you ever talk to a german about like you know who maybe didn't support the nazi party at the time and like have that discussion like i have i worked with somebody who yeah who like lived through that and his father was in gulags and stuff and all this crazy shit and i was like i've never really thought about that because that especially world war ii we'll get onto that but like fucking hell we have to it's so drilled into like the british psyche they're like we won the war and you don't really think about the consequences for those entire nations and the generations after that who feel the after effects mm-hmm. of like japan still doesn't have an army and is not allowed to have an army you're like wait what that was like 80 years ago it's like doesn't matter still not allowed it's like okay that's weird but germany has an army it's like yeah, and? Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's weird shit like this. And You bomb Pearl Harbor, fuck you. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, is that it? It's like, that's kind of it. There's this weird, like, I don't... I know I'm very, like, not, not uneducated, but, like, history is not my thing. And I know my wife is far more into history than I am, so she's often explaining stuff to me and telling me different periods and all this kind of stuff. But I have so many blind spots, and especially, I think I talked about this on the show before, where, like... I have no concept of like what is happening in different parts of the world oh, at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Like, what does like 1600s Middle East look like? I'm like, I don't know. It's like, what's that? What's happening there? It's like, and then there's the the classic comparison is like the fax machine existed at the same time as samurai. I'm like, <laughs> wait, what? Because the samurai ran for so fucking long because Japan closed its borders for so long and they existed in that feudal state for like hundreds of years. And they basically just closed themselves off. Mm-hmm. The fax machine was invented in the 1800s and there were still samurai around in the 1800s. I'm like, God, they're two things that coexisted in human history. That's so weird to me. And thinking like, oh yeah, and there's like the Ottoman Empire. I'm like, where does that count? It's like, oh, well, the borders were different then and the politics were different then. So this is a different thing. I'm like, oh my God, this is instantly, before you even get into like individuals, yeah 
borders are different, countries are completely shaped, continents shift and mm-hmm. change political things. It's so complex even just thinking about it. One, one thing that we haven't, for the episode specifically for the show, Zulu. We can talk about Zulu Dawn and stuff. Mm. Zulu takes place at the exact same time as the American Civil War, takes mm. place at the exact same time as the Meiji period where samurai being basically done away with and mm. you're getting all that sort of modification of Japan. You're like, right. Okay, so all that's happening at the same time. Yes. Mm. And what's this country called? Is it called Germany yet? <laughs> and it's like, maybe it might still be Prussia. Yeah. You have to sort of gauge, is it the Holy Roman Empire still? Yeah. That kind of bullshit. It's, it's maddening sometimes. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's the, the areas that tend to not be covered tend to be those, you know, it, it's all tied together. Education, like, like Matt mentioned, and history being written by the winners and mm. complexity, you know, obviously the fact that cinema had taken off in kind of the 30, you know, really took off in the kind of thirties yeah. um, is part of the reason we have so many world war two films because it was going on while there was a film industry that yeah. was extant mm. more than there was in the, the, the 1910s. Mm. But if you look at, you know, one of the reasons I would argue that, that there's so many more world war two films than there are world war one is because world war one was a lot messier and there wasn't a clean bad guy. Like we try and make yeah. out that like, Oh, you know, the Hun was, was, was evil. That it's like, buddy Kaiser. yeah, it's like, no, it was just a big mess where a whole bunch of people died. Yeah. And well, you we, know, I can't remember if we, this uh, I know our history, but it was like, were we supporting Serbia at the time? Was yeah. that the problem? Or, Cause <laughs> yeah. we didn't like Serbia. Yeah. It's like, Where's Serbia? It's like as a whole yeah. as well as like yeah. yeah, political allegiances shift. You're like, so who are the good, quote unquote good guys? <laughs> so Japan again? were on our side for World War One, yeah. but not World War Two. It's like yeah, yeah, yes. And and you know because those topics are more complex, and you know some people would argue like, oh, you know that's not suitable to teach kids because it's too you know there's too much going on there. Fuck that. Um, <laughs> Those are the, the areas that we don't learn about, or they're the areas that are embarrassing to our country's history. So take, for example, Thank the you, Crusades. Yeah. You go like, oh, yeah, that doesn't really reflect where, like, even though it was it was a thousand years ago and the, like, you know, the, obviously it, impact, it has impacted us throughout history, but it's mm-hmm. not, you know, the, 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 the states and stuff have completely changed since then, but but it's like... Oh, that doesn't really reflect well, especially when we keep harking, you know, fucking St. George's Cross everywhere and all that kind yeah. of stuff. And, yeah. you know, it's still how we think about that area of the world and stuff. And so you kind of there's a sense of like, mm, can't really discuss that because it doesn't really reflect well on us. It's like, well, let's OK, well, let's talk about like, uh, oh, I don't know. Yeah, let's talk about the the uh, the dissolution of the Ottoman Empire after World War Two. Can't really talk about that because that's just the Britons going into the Middle East and drawing lines on maps that then fucks up the world for the next yeah. hundred years. Yeah. It, it, I remember the lesson I learned. I mean, we've again we have covered these things before, and um, for anyone who's sitting there listening, oh, more England bashing, more America bashing. It's not. Well, it's it gen- is. It is. It's more of a sense that when you trace things backwards, you realize very quickly that everybody is complicit. Mm-hmm. Every nation just ha- sometimes hasn't had the opportunity to be a bastard, but, <laughs> yeah. there's, but there's a bastard there somewhere. Or they've, they've been a bastard, but on a much smaller scale. Yeah. Yes. You know. How much bastardry did you get away with? Yeah. I mean, classically, and I, I always use these examples, and it's more to keep myself humble when I travel the world than it is to uh, slander any particular individual, because I'm not, you know, 
uh, again, being a, a person who is of Irish and, and British descent, it's like I am a conquered person and a conqueror. I have both of those in my blood. That's And also, even then, you go back to Irish history. Yeah, and even then, my West Coast Irish history is like a fucking Queen Maeve going, I'm going to steal that fucking bull from East Ireland. <laughs> it's like, what? It's like, don't do that. It's like, well, I'm fucking coming for you anyway. It's, like, it's all conquerors. And now I love the line of all the goddamn films. The King's Man. Oh, wow. <laughs> the film that ended with Comrade Lenin and Herr Hitler shaking hands to take over the world. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> but at the start of the film, it says, look, we, the British, and Claude Kitchener overseeing these, and they use the words, concentration camps yes, in Africa, mm. yeah. and how we shouldn't be doing it. And Ray Fine says, the lie we tell ourselves is that we all descend from very, very, very violent, brutal individuals who conquered others with strength and force. So much so they said, my children and their children and every other child that they have own you and are better than you. And over time, we called ourselves gentlemen because of it. That's all it is. And I thought to myself, that is absolutely correct of every single nation. And yet it's in a wanky film and it's so <laughs> frustrating because it's a lesson that needs to be taught to everybody. Nationalism is a nice thing to be proud of for certain things, but films where it's like period history, period stuff, where it talks about the history of the nation always seems to have an agenda, positive or correct or whatever it happens to be, it tries to. That's why the other side of things can be, well, I don't want to talk about the Korean War or the partition of Pakistan and India, or, you know, the marching into fucking Rwanda. Stuff. I don't want to talk about those things from a national point of view. We'll talk about it from a very personal point of view of a love story, mm. or it's about one family's experience, and the setting just happens around them. That's how we tend to see these things, because mm. that makes it more relatable to us, because as Tim said at the start, you've got so much to pick apart, because the further you go back, it's like, well, America's a good, strong nation now. Good? Well, I say good. What, why is it good? Don't worry about that. How they're a strong nation? Because of this, because of this, because of this. Cause, and you go back and you go back and you go back. It's like, why is Britain the way it is? You go back and you go back and you go back. Mm. And you always get to a period in every nation's history where they get to a point where they go, oh, they were bastards. Yeah. <laughs> they can't, and it's like, they looked across the shores, wherever they were, or across the borders, across the mountain, wherever the, the line was, and said, I'm fucking having that. And that's it. That's human history. That's conquering. That's 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 Mongols. That's Polynesian travels. That's everything across the world. Um, it's how you present it. So what you as you guys said earlier, you need clear villains. You need clear heroes. It becomes this state of um, a refined, seemingly uh, more soft touch version of mythology mm. so we have stories about churchill or old generals and military stuff or we have like you know political leaders or um even on um uh philanthropic individuals or people who tried to travel the world to to make it better and you're like oh i'm a doctor who went to where the fuck ever to try mm. and cure a disease fantastic really good but it still has an agenda of painting that person as a fucking saint mm. um so it's it's all it becomes mythology in a weird way even though it should be, and uh, people get very fussy about, oh, that uh, that outfit they're wearing there, <laughs> that's from seventy years later. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking idiot. Yeah, let's let's talk more about the film side of things rather than just the history here. Absolutely. Um, because there's even before we kind of get into genre, there's sort of several kind of common types of historical films, especially if we hone in on 
films that are portraying actual history rather than just films that are using history as a setting like something like gladiator where it's like very little basis in reality beyond just like this is probably what rome was like at this time um Mm -hmm. you know we don't we don't have accounts of these characters necessarily sure um so like matt said there's the biopic where we take the story of a real person who we hopefully you know understand pretty well Mm -hmm. and then we either take a small chunk of their life or we take the entirety of their life and we tell the story of it and we generally try and squeeze it into some kind of narrative usually painting them as the good guy or if not the good guy then like a morally gray interesting figure like uh what was it public enemies the uh johnny depp yes who dillinger. Is the bank the dillinger the bank robber yeah um, saying, was he a man of the people robin hood motherfucker or was yeah. he just a crook yeah yeah absolutely. Uh, and then you've got stuff like lawrence of arabia mm-hmm. lincoln marie antoinette loads and loads of these where it's here is the story of this person Yes, coloured with the contemporary lens, and this is how all cinema t- uh, tends to work. It's like if you film that same story, because these are stories you tell again and again and mm. again. If you tell, for argument's sake, a Napoleon Bonaparte story, right, mm. and you tell that story from the 1930s, it might have a very different twist to how you're telling it from the 2010s. Actually, no, yeah. sorry, the 2020s. Joaquin Phoenix is about to play Napoleon. Yeah, um, and and you might end up with something that's one more heroic, mm. and from the French point of view, and like one where he's this devilish. Conqueror, it was all kind of, you know, it's always portrayed by the, the, the lens of the cinema at the time. Yeah. And it, that's why whenever we try and present, we say, like, oh, it's more realistic now. It's like, is it? Or are you trying to make it more realistic to this audience, more relatable to this audience? Mm. But the biopic, you're right, is, is that kind of, we're sticking with this one character and we're trying to tell a facet that makes them interesting to hook you and engage mm. you. Yeah. Um, then you have the these two kind of cross over a lot. And again, mm-hmm. these tend to be a bit more fictional kind of using history as a setting, the costume drama and the historical romance. Yes. And there's a, there's a lot of crossover here, but there, there are kind of some distinctions between them. Mm-hmm. Costume drama. You've got a lot of emphasis put on the sets, the costuming, obviously it's in the name. That's, where the spectacle is coming from it's like look at this amazing recreation of this period of history more so than we do because with a biopic the focus is on the individual this is about the setting and the the, the setting is as much part of the story as as the characters and these tend to be kind of social dramas usually about like class or race or like a family through a period of history um so you get stuff like Gone with the Wind, you know, Downton Abbey's kind of stuff, Little Women, where it's informed by historical events that are going on at the time, whether that's, you know, your civil wars or your whatever. Sure. Titanic. I, I'd never watched Downton Abbey. I don't know what the fucking's going on in that one. I agree with you. Uh, it's <laughs> reinforce, reinforcing British class and that the poor like being poor. Yes. It's, it's all it is. It's, <laughs> it's like, a, oh, thank you, madam. They're taking me really kindly. Yeah. Fuck off. <laughs> and it's it's those historical events as a background to a, a story of a group of individual, uh, uh, you know, linked. Yes. You know, usually a family. The, the way I would pitch... Uh, or more accurately, um, the way I would probably describe it is 
the biopic is about an individual who just happens to be traveling through that time. They would have been amazing no matter when they lived or mm. what they did. That kind of force of personality. The costume drama, uh, sorry, not the costume. Yeah, the costume drama is very much, this is that time period. We're not. In, we're going to focus in on a lot of things because we're trying to tell you about this era. Mm. And the other one is, this is the personal romance side of things because some human emotions are felt throughout time, regardless of who it is or where they're felt. Mm. So you could very much project yourself onto it saying, fuck, yeah, no, I've, I've wanted to be within a relationship with some people, they live too far away. It's like, imagine that too far away meant that they were, you know, out of reach and out of class. And like, mm. oh yeah, that's a thing I could understand. That kind of thing. Yeah, Biopic is tends to be, here's, here's an extraordinary person. Absolutely. Here's a person who stands out. Uh, costume drama tends to more be like, this is a usual person, although often of like middle to upper class yeah. tends to be um, because we want the romance of that period. You know, it's because it's, people of that stature usually have more time to do something interesting yes. rather than just commuting and going to work. Yes. And just being or, an indentured or, servitude. Or, yeah. Or like digging a turnip hole. Yeah. And um, having no real actual livingable life. That's yes. The, that's where you get the Dickens and, and Hardy stuff where it's like poor people doing yes. poor people stuff. Yes. And, you know, they're called costume dramas. You want the fancy costumes, which means yeah. wealth. Absolutely. Historical romance is kind of halfway between the two because it's focusing on the story of two people. It's the story of their romance, mm. again, against this historical backdrop. Yes. So it's, it's the division between their love. Is it, is it a war? Is it race? Is it class? What's the yes. thing that's stopping them from being together? Exactly. Yeah. And obviously, like I said, a lot of crossover with costume drama, but mm -hmm, a tighter mm -hmm. focus You've got your stuff like Dr. Zhivago's yeah. Titanic, yeah. Pride and Prejudice, again, with a big historical event going on in the background, but then this either fictional or real yeah. story to of a romance to follow through. The way I would, <laughs> weird way of saying it, but the way I put it is, a biopic is, oh, Marjorie, I would love to be with you, but I've got to run for prime minister. Yes. I've got to change this country. Um, the costume drama is, oh, Marjorie, I'd love to be with you, but your mother-in-law is such a horrible person, <laughs> and I don't have a dowry. I couldn't possibly. Um, and there was, oh, Marjorie, I'd love to be with you, but this gosh-awful war. That's basically it. <laughs> Marjorie, I'd love to be prime minister, but I've got to be with you. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Um, That's the sequel. <laughs> and then the kind of final one in these very broad categorizations is the historical epic. Yes. And that tends to be a lot more... I've got to find all of these Marjories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, big events. We're talking... If the spectacle in, in your costume drama is, is the, the set dressing and the costumes, this is, hey, we're going to show you a big battle. We're going to show you masses of people doing, you know, a, mm. a, a riot or a, you know, scale, a march against something. Opulence and misery and riots and war. And, yeah. Exactly. We touched on the sword and sandal stuff as well. Like coming in there the you go. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. you've got your Ten Commandments here. You've got Ben-Hur. You've got Braveheart. They're not necessarily like a war story, but they'll, there's usually a conflict in them. Um, you know, Ten Commandments, you know, is, is again, it's like, like I said, spectacle scale, mm. you know, big stories. Usually it's a quote unquote great man doing a thing. It's where you get into the biblical territory as well, where it's like the, the biblical is, epic is its own. It's own yeah, 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 yeah. But it is still a studio funded style, like quo vadis and all that sort of stuff like what is it about yeah. it's like well it's about this period in time who's it about oh there's one roman centurion there's one leader there's one say like, oh cool cool mm. and why is this what's this great man doing well it doesn't actually matter because everything's just too fucking big to keep up with yeah. Like, okay yeah 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 and and, 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 and yeah. more contemporary stuff you can point to stuff like the last samurai 
Yes. Where it's like, yes, technically it is the story of this one guy, but the the way that the movie is sold is, mm. hey, come watch these big battles. Yes. You fucking, you love samurai, don't you? You love katanas. Mm-hmm. Want to watch a bunch of people with katanas? Tom Cruise is in it. <laughs> you fucking love it, you slag. <laughs> we watch this. That of Cold Mountain. You want to watch them both? Well, you can watch them both. It's fine. They're both the exact same thing in regards of like, it's just this huge spectacle of like, what I mean, again, that's another great example of, of, of Cold Mountain being like, what is it? Well, I guess it's a, it's a costume piece because you obviously see all these bits and pieces about, you know, people living at home during the American Civil War mm-hmm. and obviously those who were fighting in it. So you've got different types of outfits. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. Um, it's also a biopic in a way because you're telling the story of this one individual who's, you know, she's had this huge upheaval in the same way that uh, Gone With Me has. Yeah, okay, fine. I can, I can sort of see that. It's also a romance because it's like, okay, sure, sure. And it's also got epic scale of like this entire <laughs> war setting. You're like, oh, yes. So it is a, sh- I think it is genuinely a shifting scale and it's not yeah. necessarily always clearly defined. It's which of these pockets do you fit best into? Mm. Um, as we said about like, some of the, the bleed and crossover between these things, um, it's just which scene leans into it more sometimes. But ultimately, um, there's another interesting side to all four of those, uh, which is the marketing side of it, very quickly, which is that it's not for kids. Mm. It's These films are almost exclusively not family movies. Mm. They can be family appropriate because they're boring as fuck like <laughs> for a kid i remember yeah. sense and sensibility was a you and thinking oh i can watch oh no it's <laughs> and now as an adult i appreciate the film but the, back then i was like it was like, like uh, i think early teens i was like mm. oh, this looks boring bunch of ladies in a fucking field <laughs> and but this was at the height of the pride and prejudice on bbc stuff where we had mm. a lot of ladies in fields going oh <laughs> oh i couldn't possibly mm. so, remember that oh. era when we had a lot of ladies in fields yeah, yeah. A lot ladies, of swooning a lot of swooning yeah. oh oh I mean, I understand Pride and Prejudice now as an adult. Uh, read it properly when I was in my own 20s. I was like, oh, I get it. He's a dick. So yes, we, we have um, things that are not inherently appealing to kids. Unless it's got, you know, um, depending on what kind of kid you are, what your sort of uh, draw is, whether you like battles, whether you like romance, you can think bits of it there. But it's still pitched at a very glacial pace sometimes. Even mm. the big fight sequences, even the big swooning romances they take a fucking long time to get there sometimes because again, as we've established, there's so much context and scene setting. It takes so long to get there. The only one that sort of sits outside that, which one we haven't mentioned really, which I'm going to touch on very briefly, is historical horror. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the only one that you go, ooh. Yeah. Um, it's like, what's this? It's a story about people in the trench in World War One. Oh, yeah, no, I've seen that. And a fucking ghost is one. I'm like, <laughs> shit, what's this? It's about a scientist who's trying to Call together dead body bits and make a person. Oh my god, that sounds amazing! Um, it's about a guy who travels to Eastern Europe and you know works for a rich guy, and then the rich guy comes to England and he he takes all the, that. Sounds really racist. And it's like, yes, it is. Well done, <laughs> well done, Stoker. Um, mm. But that's the point. It's it, yeah. it's there, there's something there that's more engaging because you feel like there's some some element to it, like fantasy in a weird way. But a straight historical bit for kids at least can be dry as fuck. Mm. To cross over into the kids side of things as well, I think something we know you discussed before matthew oh yeah is animated side of things as well oh yeah prince of egypt being a perfect example and how much you love prince of egypt i fucking do and remember like me growing up going to a christian school and seeing all the like the animated versions of joseph and his technicolor dream coat and all Mm -hmm. that bollocks and i'm like (laughs) this is awful 
I hate every yeah. minute of this. The sincerity is what usually fucks me off the most sometimes when I was a kid. Yeah. It's like being so earnest about it. It's not yeah. realistic. I, as you know, listeners and fellow sequelizers, mm-hmm. I'm a diehard cynic and skeptic. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, having this real saccharine sweet like, and everything's fine now. And I'm like, no, I'm, that's, <laughs> yeah. even as a seven-year-old, I'm like, I'm not convinced, mate. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jack stands up. I am buying this. <laughs> I disagree, sir. But yeah, you have that like, Prince of Egypt is a weird one, right? Because it's this, it is this historical epic, this biblical epic, this kids musical animated yeah. thing. <laughs> like, hold on, what? It's a biblical musical animated? Like, yep. It's all of those things. Like, yeah. Okay. How? I was like, and it, and it really works. Like, yeah. how? What? That's so, arguably so, so much of Disney is technically his, it's, it's fair a to bunch say, of it is, yeah. setting. Yeah. Hunchback of Notre Dame. Mm. History. Moana history like so mm. much of this stuff whether that's the new or the old and the I'm... setting alone is always the, how how many contemporary settings do you remember in Di- i mean 101 dalmatians was accurate yeah. for the 60s yeah. guess what it is now historical yeah yeah and it, i mean they're interesting because they've got i think over time they have got more and more specific and i think certainly nowadays when they do something like frozen they, yes they look to a very specific setting and go like okay it's going to be set in kind of norway and sweden in this period of history and we're going to take our costuming cues from here but you go back to snow white and it's like i don't like when is that europe past (laughs) in the yeah europe Europe within the last industrialization 100 500 i always just assume they just go and every time it's like okay when is it it's pinocchio okay what we're doing now cinderella when is it Pre-America Europe. Yeah. What do you want from me? Fairy tale times. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. That's that kid's kind of like foot in the door for this mm. kind of stuff, right? It's like the, it's the fairy tale stuff. Yeah. And you're like, when was that? And I think, yeah. I, I'm not saying this has, this has contributed to my lack of education of this, but like there is a whole period where I'm just like, I don't know what happened for a thousand years. I'm going to be <laughs> honest. 1066 is the thing because that's drilled into our brains as fucking British I love people. that's drilled into the brain in this country despite the fact that someone... We never, we never see films about 1066 because it's us getting absolutely that's rogered a, and beaten by the that's French. That's a very good point. Matthew is the encyclopedia of film knowledge. Is there a Battle of Hastings film? It, that's like it's featured in theory, yes. Uh, and the ta- Bayer Tapestry has as well bits and pieces. But an actual yeah. film about Hastings specifically... No, because uh, everyone who wants to see that kind of movie doesn't want to see a film where Harold, the King of England, gets a fucking arrow in the eye mm. from a French man called William, and then for the rest of William uh, the Bastard, hu- William the Bastard, for hundreds of years, starts speaking French. Yeah, yeah. No one wants to see that, yeah. even though the we, the, the numbers one zero six six ten six six is drilled to the head of most 1066, British people. Mm. Yeah, for American listeners or international listeners out there, ten six six that date that is the year one thousand and sixty six. By the way. Mm. is drilled into our brains. It's like fucking World War II here in Britain. It's like mm. the Battle of Hastings, the big thing. Oh, yeah, we had the long bows and we do the two fingers and this whole thing. Like, And we lost. And we'd lost thoroughly. It, it's our Vietnam, but a thousand years ago, <laughs> basically. <laughs> I don't know. It, Matt it, thought about it and he was like, hmm? Mm? If, if, you did if the, the Vietnamese face. invaded America, <laughs> yeah. yeah. If we invaded the French, yes. And they kicked us out, yeah. Which we, they have done a couple of times. Yeah. But yeah, it's a whole thing of like, between like 1066 and like the 1800s, I'm like, I don't know. There's like 800 years of stuff there. Some I guess. of that was the Dark Ages, the, the Black Plague, Dark Middle yeah. a- Middle medieval stuff, like Middle yeah. Ages. Like loads of shit happened then, 
and it as around said, the world, in fact, it, that's yeah, it yeah. as well. Yeah, and as you said, Tim, it's like uh, fairy tale stuff. Yes, yeah. yeah. all the um, there's like uh, around that sort of time, there was like Vikings in like the eight hundreds, nine hundreds. There's King Arthur and uh, all that kind of stuff as well. It's like yeah, is any of that real? Uh, there wasn't recorded history then. Oh. Did, did nobody write anything down? No, it's the Dark Ages. Uh, um, hmm. Okay. Uh, what do we do about that then? It's like, how do we have Greek stuff from 5,000 years ago <laughs> and Egyptian stuff from like 8,000 years ago, but 1,000 years ago, nothing was written? What, what happened here? How did this happen? <laughs> oh, God. crumble. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like Library of Alexandria being destroyed and shit like that. It's like... Yeah. Moments get lost in time and things and like as, that. And as far as film is concerned, it's very complicated. I mean, prime example there, what Judge Jack just said about Vikings, right? So if you take Northman by um, Eggers, oh, mm, great what film. A, what a movie. Lovely movie. Uh, he's a prime I'll example of that later on, his right? three movies are all historical... Mm, I wouldn't say horror. <laughs> Two are very mostly horror. Northman isn't. It's no. more fantastical saga in a mm, weird yeah. way. But it's still, they're all historical all settings and base. Hamlet. Yeah, yeah it's true. <laughs> but the, it literally is. Yeah, yeah, Hamlet, it's, yeah. yeah. yeah it's where it's where there's a tale uh, of Hamlet, the thing that inspired yeah. Hamlet. And then inspired, Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the idea is that it's, um, it, they're all periods of time. They're all periods of time that people don't tend to talk about very often. So you talk about, oh, the pilgrim periods. Oh, yeah, we talk about that. But what, from what point? Like the religious zealot nutbags who left <laughs> Europe because it wasn't, you know, religious enough. And, and then, and from what perspective, also? Exactly, absolutely correct. And the lighthouse being like it's it's a, a late 1800s, early 1900s, isolated on your own in the middle of some, you know, mm. uh, north east. Because you could pretty much shoreline. tell that the the story of the lighthouse any time. Yeah, arguably, yeah. As soon you, as lighthouses you, are invented, you, you, you which know, was you a know, while Robert ago, Eggers knows exactly what year that film takes place. But yes, oh, yeah. it yes. could yeah. take place yeah, absolutely any time. And but the thing is that watching something like uh, The Northman, it's like, well, it's like, we know when this is happening, right? We know when this is roughly set, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And I've done this sort of thing in the past where I've watched two or three films as a bit of a marathon matinee for myself, where things are happening in different countries at the same time um because we mentioned about genre right and i mentioned about horror for example so and and jack you know the the, the family side things with the musicals and, and animation etc etc and this is because these ones are quite rare they're becoming more popular now so i brought up eggers because they're more mm. his his three films his entire over thus far has been this he hasn't deviated thus far mm. and it's been very successful for him um but uh there are genres like comedy and horror, which you see less of, whereas there are things like war and drama and romance. Mm. Thriller less so. It doesn't really, it doesn't really well, set the thing. Once you get Weird. to the 20th century, you can, you know, yes. and, and, and we haven't crime. really touched on that kind of like more contemporary history. Because yes. obviously there's more you of could, it. You could set a film recorded. In, you know, fucking Vice, you know, was about, yeah. you know, 20 years ago. That's a historical film, mm -hmm. but we don't really think uh, we, you know, there's there's that idea of the the, the period piece, yeah. yes, which tends to be used. Period drama tends to mean from like the 1800s on. Period yeah. piece you think tends pride to mean and prejudice and yeah. stuff like that, right? Yeah, well, yeah. I have uh, this is this typical filmmaker Matthew moment. Uh -oh. There is a line in my head mm. where I divide something between a period piece 
and a thing set in the past. Mm. And this is something I've sort of nabbed from a friend of mine who's a costume designer. And it's like, if I can buy it off the rack, yes, it ain't a period drama. If I have to research and make oh, the clothes. So for example, 60s and 70s clothes and 40s and 50s clothes, you can still acquire. You can yeah. still find cars from that time period. Mm. Yes, they're more difficult. Yes, it's hard. The buildings are still around, but it's, it's more effort, more money. It's why it takes a bigger studio to support that kind of thing, right? Mm. That and we obviously have a lot of things we can replicate. But that being said, if you need to actively create something based on the one or two or three surviving examples in a museum, mm. you the, end up being the sketches that you know absolutely. someone put down in <laughs> yes. the, the looking 1600s. at paintings and going, I guess that's right. So, for example, World War Two and the twenties and thirties. I mean, we haven't even touched on the fact that in the thirties, all the period drama stuff about crime, because crime becomes a huge thing in mm. crime period drama. Um, like the, the uh, Public Enemies with Dillinger, for example. Mm. You could technically buy similar clothes, but if you want to go into it accurate, you'd have to make those clothes. Yeah. That being said, a lot of the, like if you're um, road to perdition, mm. those locations are real. Mm. It's not CGI. It's not well. Some of it is CGI, obviously. Yeah. Mm. But the the cars, things like that, they are they yeah. are living props and manufactured things. Some of them are surviving examples. Some of them from museum pieces, etc. Mm. But you can you can generally see where a lot of it's come from. And the further we get away from those periods, the, the, the fewer of those there are available. Um, whereas if you get something like, for example, um, full-on British Empire, Queen Victoria, 1860s, mm. which again, same time, cowboy times, yeah, and samurai times, and everything else going on around the world, yeah. you're like, okay. Um, that sort of era of stuff is like, yeah, there are things. You cannot have those. They are mm. absolutely behind glass cases. And people these days are taller and broader. We yeah. couldn't even put you in if we wanted to. <laughs> yeah. So There's a few yeah. alleyways in Liverpool that you can use. Absolutely. That, Glasgow that can just about pass for, yeah. you know, Victorian London. Yeah. But beyond that, you know. You're going to be going to an old manor house somewhere and redressing the sort of corridor around the side as if it's an alleyway in a street because yeah. that's the closest that you got. Yeah, exactly. Should we, should we take a quick skip? chronologically through the the periods of history that tend to be covered a lot and Mm. some of the air the the periods and the you know kind of places in the world that tend to not be covered Mm. absolutely i think i think because what we you may be thinking to yourself oh cool and the reason we've done so much this uh, foundation work is to say when we get through this stage is say and now you know why yeah we've said before studios aren't going to sign it off people are going to be like their own history is like oh i don't want that i want something i already know anyway it has to be lived in memory is it cheaper to get a hold of these things all these factors is why we end up seeing these things over and over and of course political agenda mm-hmm. so usually the kind of the earliest it will go back is your quote unquote classical civilizations yes so you have a little bit of egypt not much because it was mostly black people and mm-hmm. you know, or, or it does, and it gets whitewashed. Hello, Ridley yes. Scott. Fucking Exodus Gods. Yeah, King. Oh, no, yeah. my God. Good old Ridley Scott. Um, but sometimes it's like Egypt dealing with Rome or dealing with Greece and stuff. You know, Antony and Cleopatra, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. The, the, which again, Egypt being thousands of years yeah. of history. <laughs> yeah, dynasties. That, but we like the end bit there. So yeah. Emma and I went to the British Museum not too long ago and went through the full Egyptian exhibit thing, and just having the scale of the years of like, oh yeah, this is like 2000 BC. I'm like, fucking hell, that was 4,000 years ago. Can you imagine like 4,000 years ago? This one's 8,000 BC. I'm like, sorry, what? How long were the Egyptians around for? Same like, people. Fucking ages. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Yep. Um, 
so then yes like i've already mentioned you get the greek and the roman stuff mm-hmm. and also your biblical epics around this yep. time yeah lots of you know swords and sandals stuff in this era good for you know fucking troy and ben-hur and all yep. that kind of stuff uh skipping forward a bit to the medieval period we get medieval japan uh which is uh i believe called jedi geki i'm butchering mm. that mm. uh in in japanese cinema you're kind of pre-meiji restoration anything yes. dealing with samurai basically yeah feudal era stuff yeah uh you get stuff in imperial china especially the kind of three kingdoms period is it's very like a lot of drama going on there and we obviously touched on this with like crouching tiger and stuff like that yeah. the era of wuxia where it's like it's in the past in china to the western audiences like yeah i don't again me coming from a place of ignorance here as a white british bloke in my 30s like I don't know what China was like in the 1200s and mm. the 1600s and the differences. I don't know when it's roughly set, mm-hmm. even though obviously it's all magical, floaty, yeah, kung mm-hmm. fu stuff. So it's like, I, I don't know. There's, is there, a, again, having not having the concept of how long like dynasties last for and all this kind of mm. stuff. Like Egypt was around for thousands of years. Was the Chinese stuff the same? I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I'm ill-educated. The answer is yes. Um, <laughs> looking at medieval Europe, you have the kind of early medieval stuff. So your 1066, your Vikings, your Anglo-Saxons tends to be, you know, there's stuff like that. The the quote-unquote real story of King Arthur that was from, what, 2005 that was kind of focused on that period. End of the Roman Empire. Here come the Ang- Anglo Angles and the Saxons and stuff mm-hmm. like that. We've had King Arthur done a million times. Yes. I never want to see it again. <laughs> Guy Ritchie ruined it. Oh, I that know, I know, I know. I, I was thinking garbage. like, it's weird because the question of is Arthur real or not, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 We're even getting into that thing. Yeah. Like mythologies yeah. and legend, mythical yeah. legend yeah. characters and all that kind of stuff. Um, then you get your late medieval stuff, your more classical knights in shining armor. A knight's tale, etc. Etc. Historically accurate. Getting yeah. into yeah. your crusades and things like that. Arabian Nightsy type stuff, which tends to be, if we do do films, it tends to be here's a white person traveling there and very kind of orient orientalist perspectives on mm. stuff. Kid friendly version in Aladdin, another it, example yes, like that. Yeah, exactly. the gateway there, right? Yeah. Jump forward, Tudor stuff, Elizabeth, Elizabeth the Golden Age, Shakespeare in Love. We fucking love Elizabeth and yeah. Shakespeare and all that bollocks here for some reason. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and around that period as well, you've got the re- Renaissance stuff going on. Yep. Occasionally, you'll get like a biopic of an artist, you know. But they they tend to be pretty yeah, few the and Da Vinci far between, code, right? Exactly. Yeah, the Da Vinci <laughs> code. <laughs> uh, pirates around this period onwards. Yeah. But they are usually very detached from any kind of historical context. Yeah, they're out at sea, Tim. They're it's, just off doing yeah, stuff. It's not... The, the, the Navy is after them, and they're good boys, but the pirates are kind of wily chaps. It's like, yeah. Who's that, who's that Navy again? The British Empire. Yeah. Like, oh, here we go. Yeah, right, yeah, okay, okay, yeah. okay. You get the, like, East India Trading Company. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> who, who are these pirates? Like, most of them are ex-slaves. It's like, right, right, right. Now I understand. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then we get into the period of American history, American Revolution, French Revolution. We get some stuff around there, leading into Napoleonic kind of stuff. Um, the U.S. Civil War. We've already mentioned Cold Mountain, Gone with the Wind. 
the Victorian age in Britain and, and elsewhere and the Industrial Revolution. We get a lot of, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, there's been several films about Victoria and you've also got, you know, kind of big engineers doing stuff biopics around this period your mm. austin powers gold member most yeah. importantly. <laughs> most importantly uh westerns we've talked about that a few times on the show yeah, yeah that's a big one that's kind of post-civil war that's i mean it's 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 a genre in its own right and again often more it feels like nowadays they tend to be more specific in like this it's during this period of the west whereas back in the heyday it was just kind of generic it's during the West. Sometimes it would be during, a, you know, oh, the gold rush. Okay, that puts it in a certain period yeah. of time kind of stuff. Um, Bollywood films, mm-hmm. obviously, dealing with Indian history. Matt, you can probably speak to this a lot better than I can, but sure. I feel like a lot of them are about India under British rule because it's, A, that was a significant chunk of time and also an a great period to mm. tell from an Indian point of view because it's like, yeah, these invaders came along and put us under their thumb and we were fighting against them. You know, there's a lot of drama there naturally. Yeah. I they, don't know how much earlier stuff you tend to get. No, you, you get exactly the same as, as, as Europe basically where you get, you're absolutely right. Big political upheaval, uh, huge political figures. Again, depending on which nation is telling the story, you get bits about, uh, uh, Jinnah and the separation of like Pakistan and stuff and mm-hmm. religious stuff. You sometimes don't get conversations about like the RRR recently has got a little yeah. bit of flack for being a little too pro India. Yeah. So all the colors here are very interesting. Yeah. Um, but that's again historical stuff set during the rise, it, like, like with Ireland's history and lots of other uh, oppressed nations, there are multiple attempts at revolution until the big one that happens whenever it happens, for whatever reason. Yeah. But there are also mythic figures who may or may not have been real, who are Robin Hood type things, mm. you know? It's that level of like, these are the characters who inspired us when we were going into this revolutionary mindset, and these were the rulers who were interesting. Um, and, and yeah, there are, there are lots of different examples of like historical bits and pieces that go back to like medieval times as well. So yeah. This is all this stuff is covered as well. Same sort of thing. It's like this is relevant to us at the time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, and then we get up to the 20th century. We get World War One, which, as we said, there's some stuff set in World War One, but then World War Two vastly outpaces yes. it. Yeah, which is weird because so. World War Two is defined by World War One. Yeah, everything about World War Two is World War One. Part two. Yeah, it's yeah. a reaction to that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And World War One is a reaction mostly to all the stuff that happened in the 1800s. <laughs> yeah. And then you get your contemporary period pieces. You get, you know, the post and stuff like mm. that, where it's like, oh, look back to the 70s and what was Once going on. Once upon a time in Hollywood and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So those are periods, you know, and you might kind of hear that list and go, well, that's covered everything, isn't it? You've gone back to like Egypt See, that's the to thing. the modern day. Yeah. And in. And then this is totally a case of this is how Western cinema has been part of our culture and our society and how our education system mm-hmm. is also part of that society and culture. That basically covers my historical knowledge from yeah. start to finish. Like, yeah, there's mm. Egypt for like thousands of years and then blah, 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 Victorians. And then now, like, yeah, covered. Mm. Everything's, everything's covered. What else is there? What else could there possibly be, Tim? Yeah. That's the whole world and the entire human history covered. <laughs> Let's let's throw a few out there. Yeah. 
and and there are usually one or two examples like well-known examples that do that have been set in these periods but they they tend to be like okay can you name a film set in this period okay maybe one or two absolutely um, and even i will go uh, i can name a part of a film that's set there that yeah. kind of thing yeah yeah so to start with prehistory <laughs> like mm-hmm. earliest earliest civilizations very little there we've got like 10,000 BC. You beat me to it, Tim. Yeah. That yeah. big piece of shit. Yeah. That movie is garbage. Uh, Mammoths of... building the pyramids. Yeah. Clan of the Cave Bear, which is an Fuck adaptation. Of that that a... one, that book got a lot of credit for being interesting. I will yeah. say, Iceman is a good film. Mm. Because that one is, and, and that's the prime example of like, name me a good film about historic, mm. like, you know, Neolithic people. And it's like, uh, Iceman's good. Any others? I just told you. Yeah. That one. And why did that film get made? Because we found one and everyone in Europe started arguing who it belonged to. Yeah. So someone said, we'll tell a story about what it is based on the sort of autopsy of the mm. thing. But you're right. Even then it's like, anything else? Yeah. As, we, as Jack has mentioned, films that get to grip with the actual true scope of Egypt and how long Egypt was yeah. the major world power yeah. are few and far between because yeah. it was about 4000 years where egypt was e- even though there were other civilizations around the globe egypt got such a head start and there's there is not anything to, to for how much of history egypt was the dominant power it is not represented in film there is a really uh f- historically frustrating thing because every we talk about that studio blockage and why don't we have more mm. of these things right there is a frustration where Egypt's history is so goddamn old that they've forgotten a lot of their own history. Yeah. And I'm not in any way crediting us, yeah. <laughs> the Europeans, with this. But uh, when you get to uh, France effectively developing European e- Egyptology and an interest mm. in it, it's only at that point do we understand because we found a load of bits and pieces like the Rosetta Stone and, well, they found it, we nicked it. Um, that kind of stuff. That you end sums up, up British history <laughs> as yeah. well. Yeah. You end up getting these sort of things and obviously the Ptolemaic rule, rule over it after Alexander the Great, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But Egyptians couldn't read hieroglyphs anymore. Mm. The language had evolved. So it's like, what does that mean? I don't know. Mm. It's like, yeah, you what? speak to Egyptians now and they speak their dialect of Arabic. Exactly. It's, like, it's Egyptian Arabic. And it's like, well, hold on. Like, how does... How does that develop like <laughs> 6,000 years later mm. from hieroglyphs? Mm. And I watched a video on this the other day, funnily enough, because Emma's a huge fan of Egyptian history and stuff. Sure. As I said, she's the history buff of the two of us by far. And people were doing this like, m- one of my favorite genres of videos is conspiracy theory debunking. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. People are fucking idiots. Yes. And then they leap to mad conclusions. Classic, like ancient alien stuff. I've talked about ancient alien. People many like times. simple examples, exactly, simple yeah. explanations. There was a, a plane and a helicopter in hieroglyphs. Oh, so yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. They knew about this and there were aliens. The helicopters have been around for thousands of years. And then the guy goes, That's somebody basically writing over the top, like one king, one pharaoh writing over the top of the previous pharaoh yep and one of them was like i am the best i am god's chosen king mm. and the next guy was like no 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 no, i am the best mm-hmm. and i am the god i am god's chosen king 
but the way it's written, it happens that they kind of like overlap a bit, overlap don't mm-hmm. each other because the material that separated the two layers eroded over the thousands of mm. years that it's been, and they kind of just press together. And then they layered together, and it's like, oh, that kind of looks like a square with a thing. And I guess we I look guess for that modern looks like helicopter blades. Yeah. And like the human brain is doing the searching for patterns yeah. thing. It's like, well, no. And they outlined like this is the top text, this is the bottom text. They are two different things. You fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. And we, we, I, I'm not going to get us too much down this one, but there is the classic when we talk about films uh, and whether they're representing periods of time or not. Uh, we then Jack prime example will say like shit. I've just seen a film about this. I know about it now. It's like, no, yeah. uh, we know about one person's version. How and, rude. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. But that's what I'm trying to say. Like, you know, it's, it's the exposure to it. You go, oh, that must be that. We, they've done all the research um, in the same way that there's a painting, well, multiple fucking paintings, but there's one come up recently. I think it was on TikTok or some shit. And I'm saying, oh, we only discovered dinosaurs in the 1800s. Like, and that was, our, our, we, mm. we really understood about them. But look here, a painting in the 1500s and they're riding dinosaurs. History's a lie. It's like, Listen to me very carefully, motherfucker. In the 1500s, people were describing animals and they went, oh shit, I've never seen a cat before. Mm. Uh, I'm going to draw a man's those... face. <laughs> the cats with human faces are yeah. the scariest and thing so in the like, world. What, what's the animal look like? Walks on all fours and it's got like weird leathery skin. Oh shit, okay. What, what's, what's its face look like? Uh, big long nose. It's like, right. I'll draw that then. It's like it's a crocodile. You, it's but it's an elephant. <laughs> yeah. But what they've drawn is a, 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 be like it looks like a crocodile. Yeah. Like, yeah, big long nose. You're like yeah, like a yeah. crocodile, like a snout. Like and a they crocodile. built. They've no, drawn no, no. like a fucking brachiosaurus. Yeah, and yeah, like yeah. you fucked this up. But equally, if you look at the medieval times, they're like talking mm. about like what's that? It's like that looks like a fucking mythical beast. That's a camel. Is it fuck? Yeah. <laughs> so with films, we go like, oh, this must be the perfect representation. It's like yeah, nope. Yeah. So Egypt is such a hard one because it's lost so much of its own history. That even if we wanted to, it would be so speculative that people would say, "What's the point?" And uh, rah, 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 yeah, rah. Yeah, yeah. so it's, we, yeah. we stick the bits that are documented when the Romans turn up and fucked it up, or the Greeks turn up and said, "We're ruling this now." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. So yeah, we mentioned the Romans and the Greeks. There's a bunch of other civilizations that were around. Oh yeah, around that period that never get touched on, yep. except when they show up to be the baddies. Yeah. Uh, so you've got things like the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Hittites, the Persian Empire. Yeah. You know, you watch 300, you've got the good white Greeks or the good white Spartans. Yes. The Greeks who are kind of, oh, they're all right. Oh, they're all pansy boys. And then here come the per- uh, degenerate brown those Persians. Di- oh, those dirty brown Filthy people. Filthy foreigners yeah. from literally about 100 miles that way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay. You would all look the same. Yeah. Um. Anything pre-Columbian in North or South America, very sparsely covered. You've got Apocalypto. I was just about to say, <laughs> the only thing I yeah. can think of is Apocalypto. Yeah. So he's fucking brilliant, by the way. Yeah, that's mm. brilliant. Mel Gibson's best movie. Uh, maybe. Mm. Your Passion of the Christ Man, Matthew? It's a well-made movie. Yeah. I wouldn't say it's his best mate. one. I'll have to think about it later. But... um. Uh, even Apocalypto, for example, the 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 long stretching history of the, of of the entire peoples, it's kind of sort of amalgamating. Mm. And what's one of the final shots of the movie? Europeans rocking up. Yep, because yep. <laughs> it's in the early fifteen hundreds. I want to say. Yes, it's, it's talking like... about how um, an entire civilization uh, mining itself to death, yeah, and not understanding that they're killing themselves. And it's like that's a bit condescending, but also what we're doing now. <laughs> um. 
kind of touched on it, you know, kind of moving forward a bit in time from your kind of Babylonian, Persian Empire, all that kind of stuff. Anything that's set in the Middle East around biblical time that isn't actually a biblical story. Yeah. Like, yeah. you will not, like, you might get some Roman stuff that's around that period, but you will not actually get, like, oh, here's a film that's set in Judea mm-hmm. around the time of Jesus, but no religious characters in it. Yes. It's it's amazing how... Unless it's you... the life of Brian. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, it's it, there is one film. Uh, well, no, no, that's not true. I was going to say there's a film called uh, Risen, which is uh, directed by the guy who directed a version of The Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, it's got uh, Joseph Fiennes in it, and it's about a Roman centurion, and it is about Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> but the thing is, of is. it's not because what he's already these days? he's already dead at this point. And the whole mm. point is about well, what happens after that. What's the what's it look from a mm. Roman? Because the whole point is like you know, biblically, it's like oh, this is this testament is given by someone who was there and swears the stuff, and it's like he's doing an investigation, basically like a detective. At the end of it, also there's this guy and this, he's already dead, but there's a whole faction of people rising up because the early nobody wants to see that, arguably, mm. because if you look at it, what you end up with is zealots and weirdos. Mm. The first time you want to start talking about Christians is just around about the time that the Romans start persecuting them really heavily. Mm. Then they're the underdog. And the underdogs, yeah. And yeah, then yeah. Const- uh, Constantine comes just in. Just they are now. Sure. And then uh, the Emperor Constantine comes in and says, you know what? Romans, uh, I've decided we're no longer worshipping all these gods. We're not going to worship the Christianity thing. It's mm. like, oh, oh, uh, okay. And then it's like, now we can talk about it. Mm. Okay. It's weird. Yeah. Uh, jumping forward quite considerably. Get a lot about the American Revolution. Get a fair bit about the French Revolution. Lamez, etc. Yeah. Do you hear I don't think uh, there's no well-known films about the Haitian Revolution, even though that's arguably the most fascinating One of, the most important of them ones. All. Yeah. Huge domino that sort of set a lot of yeah. things off. Yeah. The the world the basically only successful slave revolution of like yeah. a country yeah. overthrowing slavery. Mm. Um. There's very few English Civil War films. I know bugger all about the English Civil War. We do not cover it in our schools no, anymore. We don't. Yeah, again, you want to know fucking why? <laughs> um, I love talking about the English Civil War uh, to any bastard who will listen for two reasons. Really northerners. Hey, <laughs> up, lad. Uh, no, uh, I like talking about it as mostly as an Irish person, but basically because it is a fascinating time in British history where. And this is why I think there's been more films. There's a film called To Kill a King uh, with Tim Roth, which tried to do a thing of it. It didn't mm. do a great job. There's a film with uh, Alec Guinness, which I've completely forgotten the name of. Um, but uh, you don't tend to get a lot of it for two reasons. Basically, it's kind of like politics now mm. in that a very strong movement happened. They realized it was a really fucking bad idea and walked it back real quickly. So the 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 the, the difference was it was basically religious. I'm not going to give you a full history lesson because it's not going to be not really what we're doing here. But it started out quite nobly um, <laughs> with the roundheads and the capula, um, capulets. Um, for God's sake, roundheads, <laughs> Montagues and capulets. Yeah, sorry, yeah. the roundheads and the cavaliers. So it was a, who was loyal to the king, who was loyal to the to, the, to parliament, basically. Mm. And then for the first time in I think this nation's history. We killed the monarch, mm. and 
he was like, yeah, you can't go back from this. And it's like, yeah, I feel like we've made a mistake. We went a little too far here. Charles I was a wanker, but... Mm. I don't know we should have killed him or not. That's a very... Britain <laughs> not, doesn't do this. Not keen on this Cromwell fellow either. And then Cromwell took over and it's like, right, everyone cut your hair. There's no more Christmas anymore and yeah. we're going to invade this... We're going to literally butcher Ireland. It's like, I think we've made a mistake. Mm. I like Christmas. Um, and it was like, all, it became very pious. I think the old classic Blackadder joke was... Um, uh, you have a chair in your house, wicked child. <laughs> Nathaniel and I sit on a spike. It's like, yeah. <laughs> fuck's sake, you pious freaks. And then what happened was there was a big movement. But the country was like, this is bullshit. And we get Charles II in and there's a film like The Libertine, for example, with Johnny Depp mm. and uh, John Malkovich. So what's, it, uh, uh, what's it about? Um, and also um, Stage Beauty with uh, Rupert Everett playing Charles II. Mm. And it's like, Charles II comes back. And it's like, my father was killed and I grew up in France. It's very, very dangerous, very bad. But you know what? Let's open all the theatres, darling. <laughs> and that's the whole, like, this huge libertine-style sexual revolution and theatre mm. and art and, like, women could perform on the stage for the first time as themselves. And it was like, oh, my God, what a amazing... Everyone's wearing these beautiful wigs and, and silk socks. And um, what, what was that? We lost America. Shit, what happened? And, of course, <laughs> that, that line of um, kings and queens became inbred fucking mm. awful shit and that's why we don't talk about it because it's like a series of mistakes that went really bad really fucking fast yeah and to go back to the beginning of the episode it's a story it's a period of time that resists a simple story it resists a clear good guy and bad guy absolutely so you know yeah. how 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 are we going to make a film about that a complex situation yeah. with lots of political machinations going on that doesn't make a good yeah. story and to, again to kill a king is one that the, the actors put that i think they sacrifice their own wages to try and make the film work mm. and it's do gray scott and uh i think rupert everett and um is it rupert? Yeah, i think it's and uh and, and tim roth and things like that and 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 it's like we're trying to tell the story about two friends who are on other sides of a war and loyalists to I don't want things to change. I think things have to change in this country. We fought side by side, and now we're fighting against each other. It's like that's a we can get behind that, right? And there's like, how does it end? It, mm, mm, doesn't kind of end. It's like, well, what happens at the end of it all? Kind of just goes back to how it was. Well, that's not a fucking. What's the point <laughs> of that then? So yeah, it's a really hard one, as you say, to to just absolutely make it a clear story, beginning, middle, end, mm. that doesn't feel like the end of Burn after reading, where it's like. What did we learn? Nothing, I guess. Maybe not to do it again. Yeah. Fuck if I know. It's yeah. closed. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking more broadly, like ignoring the American Revolution and what was going on there and, and a lot of American history kind of which does get covered. Yes. If you look at Europe from like sixteen hundred to eighteen hundred, there's remarkably little or few, I should say, films that cover that 200 year span when there was a lot of you know it was a lot of political back and forth going on there and there are films and stuff like Barry there will Lyndon. always be examples yes, there's yes. always examples but to me i'm like i don't know kind of what i know there's stuff like the Habsburgs and all that kind of stuff going on yeah. there but my understanding of that is very woolly because we yeah. it's not a period that exists in popular culture yeah in in the british oh, british in the english speaking um cinema you get our own selfish involvement. Mm. So, for example, there's films like A Royal Affair, which is Danish. Mm. Fucking love that movie. Brilliant movie with Mads Mikkelsen. Really, really solid film. Uh, everyone should watch it. Um, and it talks about religion and, and, and enlightenment in, in Denmark and things like that. And it's great. And that's around that time, sort of time period. 
The 1700s, 1800s sort of stuff, other than American Revolution, is us pissing about with France, then us leaving France well the fuck alone while France implodes with its own revolution, mm-hmm. followed by Napoleon coming up. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes, ah, now we can talk about what we're doing in Europe now, because it's Wellington and Nelson yeah. and ah, Sharp and all this other bullshit. Yes, yeah. Um, and then you get into the sort of empire era of like our colonial wank and stuff like that mm. um but yeah there's i mean also like uh, it, you've got like obviously religious stuff with protestantism and catholics and other stuff. yeah I mean, all the so various shit, factions like, that then yeah went off to america and, yeah yeah and it's, but it's such a blur that it's hard to say exactly what's happening because it's such a hotbed mm. pan like what's and, happening in france at this time well france is invading germany wait france invades germany mm-hmm. it's like yes no, the point, germans invaded france man <laughs> yeah it's like, that's what i've been told yeah it's like the lines on a map mm. move like such a it's it's ridiculous, mm. and it and it's an increasingly globalized world at that period of time. Yeah, you know we have the Silk Road that's been going for you know hundreds of years at that point, and so there's all these different influences that are all playing into each other. You know, it's like what's going yeah. on in Spain at that time. Well, you know they've had the the Reconquista and uh, you know all this kind of stuff, and so yep. this is happening and this influence is there, and you know India's had this happen and the middle east has had this happen and so all these other things are flowing into it mm-hmm. also plague <laughs> yes plague, um, plague dictates so i mean de- de- so much death but again when you're telling a story about that you've got the seventh seal you've got weirdly enough monty python and, uh, and the holy grail <laughs> um but it's how do you tell a story where nobody went anywhere or did anything yeah and then to bring us kind of much more up to date there's a huge amount of black history, especially in the States, that is completely untouched upon. Absolutely. You know, there, there, there's there's periods that get a little bit of coverage. And even now it's still quite like, you know, kind of 12 years a slave and that kind of stuff. Yeah. There's very few films set in the Reconstruction period um, because it was a huge leap forward for rights and then very quickly stripped away again. Mm, yeah. Um, and you know that just to point at something uh when watchmen the tv series came out and it, oh yeah and, the tulsa stuff and the tulsa stuff mm. suddenly everyone was learning about that and it's like how did we not know this story already it's like oh because white people look really fucking it, bad yeah, funny I, that i <laughs> yeah, remember what a coincidence there's a tweet i think i'm sure you guys have seen it which is like I learned about the Tulsa uh, massacre from Watchmen. I learned about the partition of India through Miss Marvel. What the fuck is wrong with our education yeah, system? Yeah. These are both within a hundred years. Yeah. Um, and there are two, and I cannot stress this enough, continents that we know so l- much about, but explore so little on film. And we've covered them mm. part already, but Africa and South America. Yeah. We don't talk about it mm. because we have only got periods of history where we're fucking things up <laughs> and just harvesting stuff and people say oh come on you know blah 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 like, no 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 if you <laughs> if you consider yourself a history buff or wanting to learn about history through films and and exp- expose yourself to then learn about people's experiences learn about the stuff that is documented learn about how people's societies have evolved and changed etc 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 not just the bit that makes you look good mm. because again the amount of films I will see from, um, let's say, like South Africa, for example, or parts of Central America, South America, and parts, especially, especially fucking India, and you'll hear about a European coming in, like, oh shit, and you sink down in your chair, and and obviously, I personally have not committed these crimes. Mm. I am, and I'd like to think, 
an enlightened individual who is openly available to understanding everybody's periods of history and how everybody is responsible for all different things and how people have persecuted themselves as well because that's the classic white man defense of well did you know that black people making slaves of black people in africa first like oh fucking shut up Mm. yes of course that's part of history but you have to acknowledge that certain periods of history you are going to be the bad guy. And if you don't, you end up like China where you've got, we want to talk about this part of our history because it's really cool and wonderful opulent. What about this part of your history? Shh, mm. that didn't happen. And every nation has a shh, that didn't happen. I mean, how much Australian history have you seen in film? Mm. I mean, there's some really brutal stuff. I mean, like Nightingale and um, and uh, Proposition and they're all mm. bad. They're all Westerns kind of basically. Yeah. And us turning up and being bastards. Anything about indigenous people? Mm. Nope. Don't care. Who's yeah. that for? That's a that's a niche movie. Yeah. And you know, we're not saying those these films don't exist anywhere. Of but course. When not. you look at the films that get a major push and marketing behind them, either you know currently or or back in the past, you know, they think about you know S- Simone Bolivar, you know, led a couple of different revolutions yeah. you know, down in South America. It's got cigars named after him. Yeah. And, and I think there's like one low budget biopic of him. Yes. You know, compare that to I've how many, <laughs> yeah. Compare that to how many times, you know, Nelson appears in film and, yeah. their, you know, relative impact, you know, Nelson, yes. Great historical figure, uh, Norfolk lad, et cetera, mm. et cetera. But <laughs> fucker on a boat. Yeah. It, it, Who got it, shot. <laughs> you know, had it had an impact on us. We are a relatively small country. You know, yes. Bolivar impacted huge areas of South America, and yet, you know, most people will go, "Who?" Yeah, and the the amount of people who say, well, "We can't fund this," it's like, why? Because our audience wouldn't care. Your audience will care because it's an interesting story. Yeah. Why does your audience care about a talking raccoon in space? <laughs> it's like, if it's cool, they'll watch it. If you market it well, they'll watch it. Yeah. It's like, yeah, but also we don't, we don't want to portray these people as heroes because then they make the idea that they're heroes and they don't have to worry about that anymore. And our world history, we've been telling them, is in fact different. Um, I'm trying to think of um, a couple of films. We see this now. There's a few things that are changing mm. in the last 20 years because, and I don't want to say it's a good thing. It's not, sorry, I'm not trying to say it's a good thing. I don't want to say it's for altruistic means because studios are bastards. Mm. They've just realized they can make money off it. Yeah. That's all there is. Uh, there is a film that I'm very excited about that I really, really, really want to be good, which is a, a Viola Davis movie coming out this year called The Woman King. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, that's, is exactly what we're talking about. Yeah. Show me a story about a group of African individuals who are led by a female king. And it's all what we now, we use shorthand Amazonian mm. in that sense. And it's like, well, I mean, this specific group of people have been, you know, ruling and, and are, you know, uh, European people arrive and it's them standing up and fighting. It's like, yeah, it's an invading force that's the hero right there you mm. want your simplified story there it is mm. it's a, it's a nation led by a woman who is effectively standing up for um her people as they're being invaded that's the kind of story we love to watch mm. and they're the underdog and also historically don't work out mm. which has a sad ending we like that kind of stuff mm. and who you get in the lead role one of the best fucking actors of our generation mm. living currently so yeah I have if high it, hopes. If you can, if if Braveheart can win a bunch of Oscars, this film can as like. There's no reason if yeah. it, you know, unless it's bad. 
unless it's bad. <laughs> but yeah, it's exactly you know, it's a a story on pretty much the same scale. It's like we said, it's invading army. It's yeah. a country standing up for itself that yeah. ends tragically. Welcome to history. 1066, yeah. right? Ah. <laughs> you said the thing. Today's episode is sponsored by Athletic Greens. You could start taking AG1 because you don't have prep time. You want better gut health, more energy, or an optimized immune system. Thankfully, it doesn't taste like it's super healthy with a mild tropical taste that people actually look forward to each morning. So what is AG1? With one delicious scoop, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All the things. AG1 is a small microhabit with big benefits, supporting better sleep quality, and it's cheaper than getting all the $100 per day supplements separately. So right now is the time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition with just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com emerging to take up ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. We are also sponsored by Audible. Audible has thousands of audiobooks, podcasts, comedy specials, and so much more. And we're here to enhance this fantastic experience. Because if you head on down to audibletrial.com slash sequel, you can get a month free and an audiobook on us. I recommend The Last Cavalier by Alexandre Dumas. Ah. The Last Cavalier is his story, which was considered lost. Um, it's such a feckin' long book as well. Um, for those who don't know, Alexander Demar uh, wrote things like The Three Musketeers and Count of Monte Cristo, which I both very, very, very much love. And he serialized this stuff in newspapers, so it was paid by the words. So obviously, he'd drag himself out. And then when he came to publish it as a book, he would uh, refine it and improve it as a story, go back and change things. So this book is a really interesting one because it's just uh, the most intact copy of what we have at the time, unrefined. So it's as you would have experienced it effectively back in the day so it's a it's a real time capsule piece and it's his only real story directly about napoleon bonaparte so very interesting and a really good read to listen to on audible so get on down to audibletrial.com slash sequel for a month free and an audiobook on us audible sometimes it's got history in it so we're going to do something a little bit different for these pitches we're going to go since we're talking about history in chronological order oh bold I know. So I'm going to kick things off, listeners, by journeying back to 7th century Britain. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, our back door. Yeah, well, yeah, quite. It's, so, I've I've gone a direction. Oh, hello. Yeah. Um, And I've actually got the book I'm inspired by. I'm essentially doing a book adaptation as well. Mm. Okay. Are you literally going to pull out the book now? I'm literally going to pull it like I did with Conan. It's 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 for us. It's everybody. considerably you smaller. You see this little book. Oh, called, it's called "The Way of Weird" by Brian Bates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very cool. He is a um, historian and lecturer, and 
basically a study of Saxon mystics and magics and all that kind of stuff. Yes. And as we're about to get into, I've basically adapted this book with a couple of little twists to make it a bit more digestible uh, in movie form. And it is what he considers, because that kind of era of religion and mysticism and all that kind of stuff is so often lost in our modern culture he's basically trying to reintroduce people this was book came out in like 1983 or something sure, like sure. That. Oh, wow. so okay. it's it's old but obviously not old in the context <laughs> that we're talking about it's older going than you. back hundreds of years ago yeah, it's older than all of us so oh yeah sorry even older than matthew sorry i took me a second there <laughs> 19 1983 1783 even older um but yeah so brian bates uh wrote this book to specifically explore the saxon religious side of things and what it boils down to is a, a road trip story essentially of a young christian monk or scribe going through 7th century britain and learning about the saxon ways of life basically yeah, and learning about their religion and their mythologies and mysticisms and all this kind of stuff mm. to the surprise of no one who has heard me talk about my dad this is my dad's favorite book ah. <laughs> he's a big old fucking history dork and a hippie <laughs> and he loves talking about weird Saxon magic and mystics and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't got a chance to do it yet, but I will send the pitch to my dad, like I did with the Star Trek one. Oh yeah, and yeah, I'm yeah. very interested to see what he thinks because mm. he has hounded me for a while to be like, "You've got to do Way of the Weird. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant." Um, as he does. So yeah, I've adapted the book that is again. It's a weird one. It's not non-fiction. It's fictional characters in a historical context to explore that kind of less explored side of that era of history if that makes mm-hmm. sense it i guess would fall into the costume drama aspect in that we're telling a story of the world building as much as the people effectively Very much so. Mm-hmm. yeah so it's more about like oh that's interesting yeah. how they used to operate and live and, and you're right saxons is a thing people people use the phrase anglo-saxon in this country a little too often yes <laughs> um, for the word thing and it's like what does that mean is because saxons means literally part of saxony germany yep um and we talk about like romans we talk about normans things either side of it but not the middle so yeah it's, i think it's a it's a neglected part certainly yeah so i'm gonna got year of release cast director i'm gonna call it the way of weird it makes sense. It's a fair, good, it's good a, name. It's a decent yeah. enough title. Um, no need to change it. I think it would bring in all the the Saxon dorks. To... It's it's an IP at the end of the day. It's, yeah. a, it's like, if you say, this isn't just a story we decided to tell, it's from a book from the 80s. We go, ooh. Mm. And it has a bit of that grounding. So I, I get that. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it, it's been tried to be adapted for a while now, from what I understand. Oh, Brian yeah. Bates has spoken about it in interviews and stuff, saying, like, oh, yeah. We're in the process, pre-production, blah, 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 as fucking everything is. But that was like 10, 15 years ago. Of course, so, it falls apart every time. It, yeah, it's gone completely silent for a long mm. time. So as far as I know, we will never see a film or show of this or whatever. Um, I'm bringing in a director I think you'll both go, oh, okay, with. Um, and Let's this see is, if Tim I do that. There's a couple of, well, that's kind of my reaction. You're equivalent of <laughs> that. That's a very Jack reaction. But, <laughs> I was going to um, say. There's two kind of, we've already touched on one of them, funnily enough, and one of them we kind of skirted around, but a big influence for me here. Um, I'm bringing in Ben Wheatley 
okay. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was your Makes equivalent. Sense. That was our Tim equivalent. Went, mm, and Matt went, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. Our equivalent. Um, uh, a Field in England is a big inspiration here. Yeah, I get that. Fucking love that movie. I've talked about it a few times. Mm. An English Civil War movie. Yes. Not an English Civil War movie, but is an English Civil War movie. Mm. True. So, yeah. Um, and the other kind of inspiration here, kind of tying into the weird uh, mystical side of all this stuff, we mentioned The Northman. Yes. That kind of thing. It's My elevator pitch is The Northman meets A Field in England. <sighs> That's a that's a that's a map film. That's a fucking <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a weird fucking combination. That's, that's a film I not only would watch. I definitely want to make that fucking film. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I've got five named characters in my little cast. Like I said, mini pitch all that. There are other characters, but mm-hmm. I'm keeping it to a five core cast. Uh, the main character, who is the Christian scribe, he is the like the young monk, uh, is called Watt Brand. W A T surname brand he goes by brand throughout the most of the book and would be called brand by most of the characters and stuff so if i say brand that's what i'm talking about um i'm bringing in thomas Brody sangster i know that name why don't i know him uh he's jojen reed in game of thrones that's probably most recently yeah, um, yeah, yeah he's the, older he's... than me but looks 15 which is very confusing <laughs> he's the little kid that does the drums in love actually that's correct exactly yes, yes, yes. yes um yeah he's a He's a great actor. He's got some really interesting... He's done some interesting roles over the mm. last few years. Again, including things like Game of Thrones and stuff like he that. He's good in Queen's Gambit. He's good in Queen's Gambit. Exactly, mm. exactly, yeah. Is he in Scorch... The, the Maze Runner Scorch yes, trial? Yes, they all are. I think, yes. 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 Yeah. yeah. There's too many of these young adults. actors his 30s, that are in these things, but looks yes. like he's a teenager. He's yes. probably in one of those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so he's the main character. Uh, Wolf, who is going to be the... That's W-U-L-F. Beowulf. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, Saxon style. Um, he is essentially the guide for Brand through the Saxon wilderness, essentially. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I tossled and turned with many different approaches. They never clarify basically what he looks like or how old he is or anything like this. The, <laughs> so the book heart blanche. Yeah, the book is purposefully vague about a lot of stuff. If and... you're going with, a, like, I guess, uh, uh, again, it's like a guide, right? So it's someone who's older than this person. Yes. So you're going, yeah. I guess, not like a wizened old man, fucking Anthony Hopkins. It's going to be like a, an older bloke, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So um, I've gone for Andy Circus. Oh, there we go. Yeah. There mm. you go. So, like, he's 20 years older than Thomas... Uh, Brody Sangster there, so mm-hmm. like, but looks forty years old. Well, exactly, yeah, yeah. Andy Circus has that weird. He can play a lot of different ages and mm. be a lot of different roles and that kind of stuff. Weirdly enough, and this is a very different vibe. Up until yesterday, I had Matt Smith, aka the Eleventh Doctor, Ooh, who is very, who is old, who is ten different. years older than him. Yeah, because I was yeah. going through and I was I was rereading this last night and I was like. Ah, it makes more sense for him to be a bit older, actually. I don't know. So the question, I guess, for my mindset is, do you want the audience to trust the guy? Because you get Baloo and Alfred as opposed to anti-Morbius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Doctor, Matthew. We don't talk about Morbius. And also Terminator Genesis uh, Boy. <laughs> I am releasing this before Morbius as well. So I'm doing this in 2020. Fuck Morbius. It doesn't massively matter when oh, no, I release it. No, 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 it's fine. Just, I'm you just picking on, a year on. when the actors are appropriately okay, I get it, that I get kind it. of stuff. So yeah, Circus is a good show. I think yeah. that's really good. Mm. Uh, brother, I don't know how to pronounce this word. I've never heard it said out loud. Oh. It's spelled E A P P A. 
Iapa, 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 yeah, maybe Iapa. Yeah. But again, we don't know. So yeah, yeah uh, that is the senior monk essentially at the monastery that Brand comes from, essentially, uh, played by Hugh Grant. Ooh, okay, love, love me some he's, Hugh Grant. He's always a bit of a. He's, he's diverse in something like Cloud Atlas alone. We play so many yeah. fucking roles in that one. Though, like I can see yeah. yeah. all kinds of things. He's yeah. not in it hugely, but he's going to set the scene at the very beginning and kind of he sets Brand off on his mission. So we'll get to that. Um, there are three in the book. I've kind of distilled them down to one character. Welcome to book adaptations. <laughs> Hello. <That's>, yeah. <laughs> um, the weird sister, or the sister of the weird, as in W Y R D, because that's how we're spelling weird. Yeah. Here, is this kind of like shamanic mystic I, woman right. kind of vibe? Uh, the the I'm weird going... sisters is. Oh, sorry to cut you off. The weird sisters classically is like the the the, it's the a witches book. For a start. It, yeah, it is. But <laughs> the witches in Macbeth. Yes. Yes. Uh, there are so many. This thing is so rooted mm. in British history of mm. like yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah 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 yeah. Uh, I'm bringing Felicity Jones. Very interesting. Mm. Uh, and last but certainly not least. I can't have a Ben Wheatley film without him. Playing the character of the dwarf, Michael fucking Smiley. Yeah, hey. Michael Smiley. <laughs> Love me some Michael Smiley. Mm. He's in basically every Ben Wheatley movie, and he's fucking brilliant. So, yeah, bringing in Michael Smiley. Very good. As well. So, kept this fairly short, like I said. Even shorter than usual pitches, so I apologize if I just kind of zoom through some stuff. But here we go, mm. and uh, I'll, I'll whip through my way of the weird rough idea cool i'm excited england it was not called england at the time 674 we see a christian monastery and meet a few colorful characters like i said the the opening kind of couple of chapters there's a bunch of other monks and stuff we'll mm. have other interesting actors it's, it's well building scenes well building yeah, yeah, yeah of course. exactly before eventually landing on a young scribe named what brand we see his daily chores at the monastery and learns he learn he's devoted naive in the ways of the world outside of the monastery. Brother Ipa runs the monastery and decides that Watt must venture out into the wilds of Mercia, which is what that era of the country mm -hmm. was called yeah. at the time. Mercia was considered its own kingdom at that point. It was indeed. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. there yeah. were about five or six kingdoms that made up yeah. Britain at this point. I did research, correct me. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, I'm Jack. I did research. <laughs> uh, to bring the word of God to those damn unwashed pagans. Yeah. yeah. He sends him off on a missionary. He's a missionary, essentially. Ypres initially offers to go with Brand because he's so inexperienced and young and stuff, but reckons he'd probably actually learn more by testing himself and you know trying to get integrated and learn more about their cultures and all that kind of really push himself. Mm -hmm. Since this mission has been decreed by King Wolfir, which is the King of Mercia at the time, yep. Uh, again, real person, real history there, so it yeah, does yeah. tie into real history stuff, despite these characters being mostly fictional. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whenever someone says like, "Oh, good old English names like George and yeah. William and Richard," and like, <laughs> yeah, I think you mean Ipa and Rufia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, basically, what Ipa says is like, "Well, the pagans have got to listen. He's the king. They have to. They have. They they don't have a choice. Mm. He's the king. They don't. They don't decide who's the king." At least that's kind of what the Christians think, at least. Yeah. yeah. Um, as Brand gathers his minimal provisions and belongings, Ipa confirms he's arranged for a local guide for the young scribe to help him learn their ways and understand their psychology. He's sent two days down by river by boat and is plagued by seasickness and hallucinations. We basically get like hints of like flash forwards to weird shit that's happening later in the film, which I won't spoil yet. But like that. There'll be hints and stuff and... Or it, we're going, about to go on a mystical journey, so it's, it's Wheatley. 
I'm, I'm kind of it's very weekly. Yeah, yeah. A bit of um, you've seen Valhalla Rising, yeah. The Nicholas Windy Reffin. That... Love Valhalla Rising. I, yeah. I was gonna say I can see that sort of. It's that kind of vibe. Yeah, mm. for sure. Love it. Like I said, it's Northman meets a field in England. I mm. now know that by the end of this fucking episode, I'm gonna be the most angry I've ever been. <laughs> <laughs> that these three films don't exist. exist. <laughs> yeah, I know we talked about it before because we've had the historical ones yeah. like your Zululand pitch. Yeah. Everyone's like, fuck's sake. <laughs> it's like we need this movie. Yeah, yeah. Damn. Do, do Karen, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Brand awakens at night on the riverbank. He was so sick, he basically passed out and has just missed the entire boat journey and is helped and greeted by an eccentric pagan who introduced himself as Wolf, the Saxon shaman, and as luck would have mm. it, Brand's royally appointed guide. Wolf teaches Brand how to camp, forage, survive in the wilds. We basically get some, like, you know, two bros chilling in a hot tub, <laughs> <laughs> five feet apart because they're not gay, kind of it's a little bromance thing of them mm. like understanding each other in life like well that's a weird thing you christians do oh that's a weird thing you saxons do oh you're such a pagan la-di-da all that kind of stuff they're the original odd couple all the while bran tells wolf about his life in the monastery and basically starts reading scripture to him and explaining about his connections with the almighty god and wolf trying, kind trying of to like... save his soul exactly exactly mm-hmm. Though naive, Bran begins to understand Wolf and his relationship to nature, and therefore his version of God, or at least his interpretation of God. Wolf tries to teach Bran some of his mystic arts. It's basically like alchemy and stuff. It's not actually magic. I hasten here. This is not mm. a fantasy movie. This is like just alchemy that the Christians don't really know mm. because they don't venture out into the wilds and understand. Yeah, so, rudimentary eat, chemistry. Eat, eat this mushroom, and you'll see God. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh. Brand is hesitant, seeing it as kind of like witchcraft and all against God's will and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, fearful little boy. Exactly. After a tying trek, Wolf is finally able to introduce Brand and meet his mother, only known as the Weird Sister, or the Sister of the Weird, depending on how you want to word it. The sister seduces Brand, metaphorically and physically. Okay. With food, wine, and her womanly charms, is what I've written here in the pitch. Womanly charms? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get too graphic, but, you know. A bummel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Specifically the sphincter. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. It was the past, a different time. Yeah. This causes Bran's descent into his idea of hell, and basically he has a, like a freak out. He'd be crisis. Yeah, big, yeah. big crisis of faith literally sheltered boy goes goes in, in invert comes abroad for the first time yeah. has his eyes open and he has like i mm. want to go home and, wet his, bum, myself. and his bum hole opened as well mm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um as he's believed he believes he's betrayed his faith betrayed his entire life has been leading up to this moment of spreading the word of god and as soon as he leaves the fucking monastery it's like oh everything's gone out the window oh mm. god uh in these visions bran Brand ends up in this like underworld, and this is where the kind of mystical side of things yeah. again, not a fantasy. This is all his kind of hallucinations and stuff. Hello, I feel in England. Uh, he fights through this kind of like hellscape underworld kind of thing where he meets the dwarf, and he's kind of like this final boss of this area. He's like clambering through this cave. He's a wild man who challenges Brand and does like riddles and weird things and like seems to move around in weird ways and teleport and stuff. I can imagine Michael Smiley being very funny and then very creepy and then Mm. weird and then funny again and it's very unnerving and weird. I've described it here as basically think of like Frodo slash Bilbo versus Gollum, but Gollum is ripped and even more terrifying. (laughs) I mean, classically, this is where Tolkien was inspired by a lot of his stuff, Mm. this old classic English history. Mm. And we have um, 
Would you like to know what the area of the world... He literally calls places Middle Earth in this book. Oh, of course he fucking does, yeah. Brilliant. Because he wrote another book called The Real Middle Earth and the Origins and Inspirations oh, of Tolkien. there we go. And talked yeah. about the history that inspired Tolkien. Yes. And that's the follow-up to this yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's because, him actually talking yeah. about the historical context. Yeah. Like, Ireland, Wales, and Scotland have kept a lot of this sort of uh, deeply rooted mystical nature. England sort of shirked it off over years of, well, all the, you know, contemporary mm. history. But... In the, the British Isles and the Hiberian Isles, we're going to include Ireland as well, have been fascinated and terrified by the woods yep. <laughs> and what's in it. This, and this film is a lot in the woods. Yeah, yeah. and I, I fucking love that because that's literally like, once you talk about the past, that's what you do with Britain. Yeah, Go like a weird quest and you come across these big stone just structures and go, yeah. the fuck is this? Trolls. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, the dwarf is fighting him and eventually wields this like small jagged black knife and wounds brand and steals the crucifix from his neck symbolizing his crisis of faith and all sure. this kind of stuff uh brand is able to scramble and eventually kick his adversary down like a crevasse in the cave and eventually clamber out into the real world and basically collapses injured and exhausted brand returns to consciousness and is nursed back to health by wolf and the weird sister while his faith in god is kind of rejuvenated he actually feels lost without his crucifix he feels like he's been brought back to life for a purpose like oh my god i survived all this crazy shit the lord does have a purpose oh my god this is brilliant mm. I, I didn't die like i'm still able to continue my mission and spread the word of the almighty and all this kind of stuff mm. but also he's been through a lot of shit lost one of his few earthly possessions that actually means something all that kind of stuff mm. um he's actually starting to appreciate their way of life again they use the kind of like alchemy and like you said tim like here's a mushroom it'll mm. heal you or at least take the pain away in certain yeah. ways and all that Chew kind of this stuff. willow bark and exactly yeah, exactly for what ails you it's that yeah. 13th warrior thing where they're like what i just need to wash this water if you do get infected use this as cow urine i'm not doing that it's like it's ammonia basically it's like oh yeah. it's, oh, it's yeah the things yeah. like this isn't this is uh, this is a barbaric it's like mm. actually it'll save your fucking life yeah, where penicillin comes from exactly like, yeah, like, yeah 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 um Oh, aspirin from the bark of a willow tree. Yeah, there we go. Stuff, exactly. Um, over the next few days, Bran and Wolf resume their journey through the countryside and woodland again, kind of like now questioning his faith and trying to understand their faith a bit more. It's now less Bran talking to Wolf and trying to tell him about God, but him learning about the shamanic side of things and learning about their kind of learning about the weird, it's essentially like the force. Mm. For for the Saxons, it was like this. Yeah, the web of weird is this thing that like connects all living beings, and it's all mystical mm. stuff. Yeah, um, Brand is picking up some alchemical knowledge and understanding like how to brew teas and all this kind of stuff, and he actually starts to kind of settle in, feel kind of comfortable with it, and realizes he's been there for like two weeks, and his mission is actually coming to an end, and he needs to return back to the monastery. They head back to the riverbank where they first met and Bran believes the boat will be back in like a day or so. They're actually ahead of schedule. And Wolf, as a parting gift, gives Bran the crucifix, now fully cleaned and repaired and like returned to him, and the black jagged knife to remember, remind him of the trauma he'd been through. Mm. The book ends here, and this is kind of where I'm going to end it. It's fairly, not necessarily ambiguous, but... Brand smiles, thanks his new friend, and says, you know what? I actually might stay a while longer. And he carries on. He doesn't 
so the the book is basically written like a diary of his. Mm. Yes, yes. He opens it with like, here's my journey and blah, 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 blah. Mm. And then closes it again. I don't know if I necessarily want a voiceover. I feel like it'd be a bit clunky. If it's yeah. weekly, you won't get a voiceover. Yeah, I don't, that's I don't what I mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I like the idea of having maybe like an epilogue or something and mm. closing it and him talking mm. about his experiences. So he does eventually go back to the monastery, but actually talks about how that interpretation of God is not necessarily separate from the Christian God. Everyone's interpretation of God is valid and all this kind of stuff. Mm. And is actually one of the more like that fucker's getting beaten as a heretic. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah, there's that kind of like he goes through that growth, doesn't get converted because I think that's a bit clunky and mm. weird. Sure. But learns to understand the world a bit more, becomes a bit more world where he learns about that kind of yeah, the moral of the story that if you learn about people's cultures, you learn there's a lot of more things that are similar than aren't, mm. and that there are other perspectives beyond the wall that you've grown up in i think yeah i, th I think that would be a really good mm. i really enjoy that film i really i, would, I, really I would. can picture this so vividly yeah, same like i could and 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 as you were going through it there were all these different influences that i was like oh it's kind of like there's bits of like heart of darkness apocalypse yep. now there's bits yeah. of um like dante's inferno the mm -hmm. kind of the the, the spiritual the the, yep. the guide yep. and stuff there's like Elden Ring in there. And, <laughs> I did just uh, finish Elden Ring yeah, the other day. Uh, like uh, the the kind of grubbier bits of Borman's uh, Excalibur, yeah, and all that kind of stuff. A lot and, of Northman yeah. with the boats and the fucking yep. visions. And the, yeah. yeah, was yeah. that real or was that just an idea in my head? Exactly. And yeah. it's filmed yeah. in a way that's ambiguous. Like, yeah, is that a trial or just did he just pick it up and it just yeah. happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. yeah, I can see Wheatley doing it, like knocking this out of the park. I agree. I, yeah. I would love to see this. Yeah, small and contained. But because of the fact that everything has to be constructed yeah. originally, it's actually surprisingly big. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, bear in mind, like, similar to The Hobbit, like, this is 210 pages or something. Yeah. Like, yeah. it's a pretty tiny novel. So I do recommend if you want to go and read it, it is yeah, readily available and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, it is, uh, I know it's heralded by a lot of the, like, like I said, the experts and this kind of thing of like, oh, it's a really interesting exploration because... Mm we dive into so much of our like Celtic heritage and stuff. And we kind of don't really talk about the religious side of the Saxons. We see them as, mm. Oh, the warriors and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. But this is a way to kind of explore that and doing it through the filter of a Christian scribe as well. Like seeing seventh century Christians in a way we've not really seen that before as well. And kind of exploring mm. that from a young person's point of view as well. And having his kind of journey there as well. So mm. yeah, Mm. It is an era is an era that has been explored. We talked about Vikings and the Northmen and all this mm. kind of stuff, but, but not with this. This is a framing. bit of a twist. Yeah, yeah. not with that this was lens. My, that was my thinking. And and also, it's that period of you know, like so many cultures, they weren't necessarily writing stuff down. It was it was oral tradition that was Absolutely. keeping these things like that's that's why you had shamans is because they got the knowledge passed down to them of like this is how you treat. You know, uh, this is how you help a woman give birth. This is how mm. you treat someone who's like had their skin schooled. It. This is, you know, what you do to to cure pain. This is how you knock a tooth out without yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. killing a motherfucker. Yeah. Um, and obviously those things that were passed down in oral tradition would have been seen as heretical to a certain degree. So weren't mm -hmm. then copied down by the people who were literate in languages which survived till later. So it's that period of history is so fragmentary and it's kind of what we can piece together mm -hmm. that yeah there's there's we have a better idea of say your norse history because there's more continuity of written language there 
this is this kind of cloudy dark area that we have to kind of interpret and kind of it's guess the dark at ages to a certain thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, no, I I I fucking love to see this film. I absolutely would too. I really would. Cool. Dick. Well Matt well Matthew. <laughs> off to you. We are journeying a few hundred years into the future. When when are we journeying to? When and where, I suppose? Where in the world? Thirteen hundreds continent shift. Oh, here we go. Okay. Time to go to Africa. Interesting. Something we talked about, not really explored. Mm. Absolutely. Um, so this is uh, time period wise. The Crusades are happening. Um, the Mongol Empire is coming to an end, but still fucking huge. Um, you know, the 1300s plague is still running amok. So the world looks a very specific way to people when you say 1300s. Not in Africa. Um, and again, to reiterate, Africa is a continent, and mm. there's lots of it. The bit I'm talking about is is Western Africa specifically. So um, we'll get into the more details of what I'm talking about. The film is called The King of the West, and would like to release it next year. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. This fucker is going to be a big epic, and I mean, like, we want to have like a proper two hundred thousand, two hundred million dollars sort of budget on this. Two hundred thousand, two hundred thousand pesos. Um, <clears throat> and the idea is that it's a $200 million movie, a big budget, big support, a, a, a big enterprise. Very different to my one. Mine's yeah. relatively low budget. I think yours didn't need to be that that's kind the, of yeah, that's Much the like the, yeah, green, much smaller. the Green Knight sort of thing. Although yeah. that's very much a mythological yeah, yeah. sort of fantasy legend thing, but there's a lot of money put into it, but in a different way. Yeah. Mm. yeah. So the director of this one is Barry Jenkins. Nice. Uh, who did Moonlight and If Beale Street Could Talk. Now, there are two or three reasons I went with Barry Jenkins. Um, most importantly, because uh, although this is a big, sweeping, epic, huge, whatever, and there'll be studio support for that element of stuff, um, he has done a period film, obviously set not like too far in the past, but, yeah. you know, uh, within the century. Um, but when it comes to big, sprawling epics like this, you have enough studio support that you have technical people, people who've been used to doing battle things, other bits and mm. pieces, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that kind of stuff. But I want someone who's going to be able to tell an emotional story mm. about an enigmatic individual. And I feel like uh, Jenkins has always been telling these stories about enigmatic individuals who are made to feel very real and relatable, even though they go through such strange and awesome uh, situations and circumstances. That's like, you know, whether it's like, crime or death or prison what happens to be uh, it's like yeah I can see this and putting it on a bigger scale effectively uh, the cast it feels weird talking about the cast before I talk about what the thing is about but I'm going to just talk about the cast now um, so we're going to go with uh, Mahershala Ali hell yeah Mahershala Ali you've got a big budget you need a big actor mm -hmm. and it's frustrating in that sense but it's also like Mahershala Ali is an amazing talent mm -hmm. I think he worked thing. with Jenkins before exactly exactly, Moonlight. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. um also because this character is Muslim. And obviously, Mashallah is Muslim as well. So yeah. the idea that it's going to be someone who's... I wanted representation properly mm -hmm. in this. So it's like, you know... Uh, he's playing the role of Mansa Musa. I will come up with who Mansa Musa is, obviously, as we go through this thing. For those who don't know, in case you don't know, Mashallah Ali in Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Moonlight, Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse will be Blade at some point. He's going to be Blade in the MCU. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. in, in Green Book as well. Yeah. Not a great film, but an Oscar-winning <laughs> film, Best Picture. Was um, Luke Cage? Yes. He was, because yeah. he was one of the best parts about Luke Cage. Yeah, the, yeah. the good thing about yeah. Luke Cage, season one. 
Uh, Inari Kunate is uh, his wife. She's played by Lashana Lynch, who I think is fantastic. Again, has a really long career mm. ahead of her. She is uh, in Captain Marvel. She's in No Time to Die. Um, and I won't say other things she's in case it's still spoilers, but <laughs> she's going to have a good long career ahead of her. And another character is Abu Ishaq Al-Sahili. And he is a very famous um, scholar. Um, and I'm having him played by Marwen Kanzari, who was in the remake of The Mummy and Murder on the Orient Express and Aladdin. Um, and he's going to be in Black Adam. So again, he's, these are names of people who have been in big, big ass blockbusters. He Was he Jafar? He was Jafar. Yeah, that's correct. correct. Yeah. Yep. And these are all talented individuals who've been given a bit of room to shine, but I'm like, no, no, no let's give them room to really fucking flex mm-hmm. uh, and do stuff. So to clarify, and this is a very, very un-Matthew thing to do. This is a four-paragraph pitch because <laughs> it's me just sort of setting the scene for the whole thing. Right? Matt's pitch is shorter than mine. Yeah, shorter than everybody's. For the here. first yeah. time yeah. ever. I should mention, <laughs> each paragraph is a thousand words. <laughs> <laughs> and detailed diagrams. No, no. So, The King of the West is the name of the film. It recounts the story of Mansa Musa's pilgrimage to Mecca. So, Mansa Musa was the ruler of the Mali Empire, which covered modern-day Senegal and Mauritania and Mali and Niger and the Gambia and Guinea and the Ivory Coast and northern Ghana. So, it's a huge cluster of Western Africa. Mm -hmm. He was insanely powerful. And not only that, um, in the 1300s, he is purported to be the richest man who ever lived. And I don't mean that he had a lot of money back then. <laughs> he had more gold than anything. He was allegedly, and obviously it was, you know, historical accounts, et cetera, et cetera. The richest person ever. You talk about like, oh, you know, Musk or who the fuck ever, Bezos mm. worth billions now. It's like, yes, mm. that's true. But this one individual king had more than that. Mm. So you're like already like, that's an interesting thing because we're talking about literal, literal wealth. That's because they had like gold mines and stuff. Absolutely. Era, right? All the, all the stuff yeah. that Europe came and took Yeah, in the very near future of where this is set. It's like, well, what happens if an African king held all that stuff? It's like, yeah, what would happen? Oh, it'd be terrible. It's like, actually, no. Turns out because of his faith and his, his outlook on the world, as is recorded in theory, um, as is like all biopics with that hint of mythology mm-hmm. and glazing over bad things potentially, et cetera, et cetera. Um, he was allegedly very benevolent and very charitable. Mm. And so there's this one that's like, it's repainting the idea of what people think of Africa. So obviously a lot of people think about, you know, starvation and exploitation, such as that. We'll go back before Europe arrives. What happens then? Uh, really big dynasties. Mm. Okay. What happened there? This guy was, uh, was Islamic and it's like, wait, we don't associate that with Africa. It's like, yeah, not anymore. We don't, but at this time, very strong presence. Mm. Okay. And that's a, People totally discredit places like Libya. Like, mm. that's Northern Africa. The primary religion is Islam as well. So it's yeah. like, that has been a part of Africa for hundreds of years. And you're totally right. We just like, yeah, the Middle East is the the Islam bit, right? Like, Because mm-hmm. it's how it's been framed to us, rather mm. than the fact that it's it's one of those things where it's, it's one of the biggest religions in the world. Mm. It's everywhere. There, there was a period in the kind of late 80s to the 90s when Islam was heavily associated with Africa when there mm-hmm. was kind of a a big push in America of like African-American people converting to Islam or, or looking to it yes, for that's kind right. of cultural roots that they could look back to. Classically Muhammad Ali. Yes. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. Um, but that 
obviously then 9-11 happened and that completely reframed how yeah. the West looked at Islam. Exactly. Yeah, there, was exactly. A, there was a big push. I know, again, yeah, Nation of Islam and Malcolm X and mm, yeah, Ali yeah, and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Like African-Americans like reclaiming their heritage in a way a lot of Americans hadn't even considered was possible. Mm-hmm. And yeah, really interesting. That we're yeah. So we, that's, that. our, that's our framing. That's where we're starting. Mm. And the whole story is a road trip. Basically, mm-hmm. um, it's it, the, the the actual consequences of this story. That's why I think Jenkins is going on as perfect things because, you know, we're like, oh, what, oh what, what's going to happen with this king? Is he going to like be really cruel? Is he going to be really kind, and benevolent? Is he going to build cities? And he's like, what, what's he doing? What's what's the thing? He's like, uh, he's going to church. I say what? Well, he's going to Mecca. He's 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 on a pilgrimage. Mm. It's like, what does that mean? Well, okay, so to clarify, he is going to his holy land, which is obviously way the fuck east, mm. um, where most holy lands are, to be fair, in the same little area, which is why most wars have ended up being around mm. the same things. Um, and he's going there with a huge entourage of people, and therefore he's going across Africa, mm. the, the, the literal width of the Africa. continent mm. of Africa. Yeah. yeah. It's a road trip. It's like, oh, that's going to be interesting. So between... This whole thing takes basically a course of a year. So again, we, we, that time shift and period things that we may amalgamate bits and pieces. But basically between 1324 and 1325, he trekked 2,700 miles east to Mecca. And en route... Jesus Christ. Yeah. On fucking foot. Now, obviously, yeah. he would have been... And, and that is not comfortable terrain. Nope. <laughs> Nope. And um, again, it w- there would have been like obviously a huge cavalcade of all this sort of a literal caravan of animals and people and everything to keep them all safe and well. But not just that, because the thing is that en route, his home country that he was saying, his empire was running fine. There's no political, oh God, someone's going to try and nab it when he's gone. No, no, no. Why would they do that? They respect and love their king. Mm. They respect and they love their religion. So everything's, everything's like peaceful. It's like, mm. huh, okay. Is he leaving it because he hates it? No. He loves his empire. He's just going to worship, basically. Yeah. Oh, that's nice. It is nice. <laughs> what does he do on the way? He sets up mosques and cities. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, well, okay. That's, that's how pilgrimages that's work. Pilgrimage, yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. So he's he's spreading the word of his god. It's like that's exactly it. Oh, but he's doing it oppressively. No. How do we know that? Because he's giving huge amounts of money to the poor. Hmm. Every city he's arriving in, he has literally these huge bags of gold dust and gold, and says, "Here you go. This is to build a city." Thank you. So you're welcome. Um, my God says this, and I'm trying to be a good person. Islam dictates this. I'm trying to be, you know, the best person I can be. You know, I'll see you later. And then they say, like, oh, I need to worship while I'm here. Tell you what, I'll build a mosque. Mm. And it's like he'll stay there for a period of time. And he's he's literally doing what every conqueror has done. Alexander the Great did the same thing, but it was in his name. How many fucking Alexandretas and Alexandrias yeah. are set up in his mm. name? But he's like, no, no, no. We'll set up as in, you know, that's what, you know, Libya, that kind of thing you mentioned that the areas are yeah. very strongly influenced by this sort of stuff. So he goes on and things like, he also on the way attracts the attention of several poets and philosophers who are like, who the fuck is this guy? Mm. And I mean, like, it's like, oh, it's rulers coming through. Okay, well, we're going to be conquered then. It's like, no, he's just giving everyone money. It's like, what do you mean he's giving people money? He's giving money and building cities and he's actually helping improve everybody's lives. Bullshit. <laughs> and then all the, you know, the, the thinkers and poets like, I want to meet this fucker. And most importantly, Andalusian scholar, Andalusia, by the way, Al-Andalusia is Spain mm-hmm. under uh, Moorish and, um, and Islamic rule, effectively. And his name is Al-Sahili, uh, Al-Sahili sorry. Um, and a very famous scholar at that. It's like, I'll find out this guy. And the more these two start their friendship up, they're like, 
I like you. You're a really cool guy. Come with me. And they have this real cool friendship and, and uh, talk about their religion. They talk about science. They talk about maths. And they just share knowledge and think, so why are you setting up all these things? And he just goes along and says, because it's the right thing to do because people are people and I want them to have a good life. And I will, not because I want to be rewarded in the afterlife, but it's the right thing to do. All this stuff about the benevolence we tell ourselves about how and why we mm. uh, go to other countries to 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 educate people to give them language and prosperity etc except he's actually doing it mm. and again we're seeing this as um for, for an african-american actor it's like these aren't the people we usually see doing this kind of stuff mm. um etc etc um so not entirely a uh a, a happy story because what happens is he goes to mecca he gets there for like i'd say they sort of three quarters way through the movie and it's everything he wants it to be and he's he's happy. He's praying. He's he's uh, in his element. He's think this was the best fucking trip I've ever taken. It's changed my life. It's been a spiritual journey. I'm a better person for it. Fuck yes. Then he heads home, and on the way home, uh, when making his journey back, he discovered that his distribution of wealth little too zealous. And this is where his friendship with uh, Al Zahili, for example, comes into it because he immediately goes back and sees that Cairo. And a lot of Egypt is falling apart because suddenly him going around saying, here, your country or your city specifically is so impoverished. I, I, I want to help. I want you to lift yourselves up. I, and, and I don't mean that fucking like, you know, Republican conservative, like yeah. your own feelings. Like, I want to lift you up. How's that? Have some fucking money. Yeah. The problem is he was so invested and so dedicated to that that he destabilized the economy. Yeah. The entire country's economy mm. in one go. It's like, fuck. And so rather than going what most conquerors have done, where he just sort of uh, fucked up and said, well, not my problem. He stayed there for three months mm. to reestablish the economy, to restabilize the country, and then, you know, giving time to get back on track and then left. Mm. Um, so it was more a case of like, oh no, I've cocked this up. I need to take responsibility. I was doing the right thing, but I should have, just rather than just like giving a kid a fucking tons of sweets i should have said these are for eating over time mm. and obviously if everybody has gold suddenly gold is worthless that kind mm. of thing is like well hang on if i flood the market okay we need to talk about this and he's sort of bringing again it's it's that it, it's that sense of humility there as well where it's like ah shit i didn't think about this mm. i was trying to do the right thing and in the process did the wrong thing i gotta make this right mm. it's that sense and of that yeah. historians were able to like literally like almost like track his journey by like the waves of gold like <laughs> arriving in Europe and arriving in other parts of Africa Absolutely. and stuff like that because obviously it spread out people spent people it, traded. people traded it and then it, you know travel and yeah it's like he kind of it had this huge impact on like this huge chunk of the world just yep. because he was he was so wealthy that he was just like yeah yeah like here's a bunch of gold. And it's like holy shit, this is more than we would ever see in our lifetime. It is the equivalent of somebody coming through. I mean, I mean that this full on like Mr. Beast level bullshit, uh, where a YouTuber comes up and says, "Hey everybody, I'm just doing the right thing. I'm coming through. Um, I've come to Norwich, nice little town. On my way out of here, uh, every single citizen, I've decided to give five million dollars. Yeah, bye. <laughs> and it's like, what the shit just happened? What yeah. the <laughs> What the shit just happened? <laughs> um, and then I was way back saying, oh, I'm terribly sorry. We fucked up the economy. Okay, okay. Well, let's re, 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 
sort that out. That's mm. where you get the humility. Most people say, well, that's not my problem. Mm. Um, now, the really interesting thing is that we would end this sort of thing here with um, uh, his time in Egypt coming to end and him returning home. Mm. And as he arrives home, the things he set up before the mosques, the cities, they're thriving, they're doing well. And he's like, great, okay, now I've checked up on their stuff. It was one far too zealous sort of thing, but I can do it in the future. And he comes back and he's heralded as, as, as champion. And then we get the film ending with these startling figures in context, specifically that Musa brought, let's get this right now, 141 kilos of gold into Cairo alone. Christ. The equivalent of $6 billion today. Holy shit. And it was like, I just gave it all the uh, fuck away. That's a very, very large person. <laughs> 141 kilos is heavier than me on his own <laughs> and i am a six foot two fat guy yeah <laughs> i mean that, that's that's insane to think about because obviously and i say like oh that's like a lot of gold it's like have you ever seen that much gold ever it's like no, no absolutely it's not. not in one no. place it's nonsense there's a story a brief brief very briefly yeah go ahead, go ahead my dad had a layover in jordan oh yeah and um i think it was when the sheik or the prince or whatever um i don't know whether it was like the the top guy or one of the like royal family whatever yeah had recently been shot or assassinated or something shit some real sh political shit had gone down in jordan this is years and years ago um and they were trying to like get a lot of important stuff out of jordan because they were worried about political unrest and stuff and he just saw them loading bars of gold into the bottom of the plane mm -hmm. like out of his window and i was like I'm trying to work out how much it is there were crates of gold is there this kind That's of shit so like heavy 141 kilos of gold he's mm. so much gold mm. and it was just like that's probably like billions and billions of pounds just in the bottom of this plane because Apparently they just load cargo like this into passenger planes as well. And then a bunch of dudes with uh, like full autumn rifle, like yeah. automatic rifles show up as well. And it's like, oh, this is some serious shit. That's real gold. Yeah. Like, yeah. I've never seen anything like that in my life. I can't even imagine that no. level of wealth. And the thing is that it, it's interesting. 700 years ago. Yeah. And this is the key thing here because the, uh, the, the, even today, there's so much, and this is a cultural thing, but there's so much uh, when you come to certain Arabic nations and the Middle East and parts of North Africa, whereby if there's a wedding, if there's a, a celebration, if there's a, a birth, gold. Gold marks everything. Gold marks when you have any form of poster uh, posterity or posterity, prosperity, sorry, or a, a wonderful thing happens, gold, 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 gold. Yeah. Uh, chains, rings, things, everything has to be like, you know, that's how you, 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 you mark it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but apparently 141 kilos of gold is about 7.7 .7 million dollars in today money. God damn, ridiculous. But um, the uh, thing we will close out with as well is that by the end of the 1300s, so literally like 60 years after that, two thirds of all the gold in Europe had come from the Mali Empire. Yeah, and it's like what the fuck. And the final thing we close in on is that you know, and again, classic shot where it's this very nice wonderfully charming bloke being mm. Mahershala Ali waving and chatting to people in the streets and handing out gold and talking to scholars and scribes and being just a nice fucking dude and says 
Mansum Musa's worth has been valued at an estimated $400 billion, which is effectively twice of what Elon Musk is worth. Yeah. yeah. And again, in the 1300s, and he just kept giving the fucking stuff away because yeah. he wanted people to be happy, healthy, and prosperous. I'm like, that is not the story we get of Africa yeah. ever. Yeah. And I'm like... Again, we touched on it earlier. Yeah. They're the savages who need to be brought civilization. I know, it's and so... And to be tamed and oh, mad brought yeah. wealth and stuff. They we don't we bring money. the gold to them. Yeah. yeah. It's like, well, they, inadvertently, he destabilized the region and fixed it. Yeah. I mean, we've destabilized a lot of regions. Have we fixed any of the fucking ones? No. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's one of those stories where I think, because it's... That's why I picked Jenkins as well to direct it. You could go a bit bombastic. I want there to be a big budget for the scale of it all and, and the beauty of it. Because again, the kind of caravan that he's been traveling with, mm. the amount of people, the entourage is going to be insane. And the, the, like, to actually go out to those regions and film and get those amazing Absolutely. landscapes. Absolutely. The vistas. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely. And the fact that also, it's like, oh my God, that guy traveling that much money, he'd be robbed. It's like, why? He's giving it away. Yeah. He's building, like, civilization and cities and things in a positive way. He's building up what you already have. And not in a way that it's converting people in the way, like the, the two, the parallel between your uh, pitch and my pitch, Jack. It's religious pilgrimages. Religious right? pilgrimages. Like, yeah, yeah. And the difference here being like, rather than going, oh, maybe I'm wrong. It's like, this guy is great. And he's saying it's because of his religion. I guess that religion's probably a good thing. Now, obviously that's not how religion works, but that's how people tend to get into religion because someone either tells you in your family or an enigmatic individual needs to go, I want to be like them. And so I would love to see that kind of story. I, I feel like we've tried to see this story so many times and it's never gone anywhere because again, political agendas. And if you try and say, you know, look at the most successful wealthy person of all time. Wait, it's a black dude. And it's like, yes. <laughs> it's like, what happened? I got old, died. That's just it. The yeah. end. Sorry. It's like, oh, did you go to war with people? I mean, kind of, but not really. Mm. Didn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> who, who needs to? And you've, again, what about like what about like you know Musk's got money? Yeah, but he didn't hoard it. He didn't go to fucking space. He <laughs> went to Mecca and back, and he built things along the way. So yeah, it's I, I think it's a fascinating story. I'd love to see more of it. I'd love to see it done with the proper scale where the characters, the personalities, the interactions between everybody is sold mm. in a way that draws you in. And goes that to me looks like a historical figure we should have fucking statues of. Mm. That's who we should be talking about. Now, obviously, it's still a film. It's still a let's talk about the nicer side of things rather than the obviously negative side of stuff. Uh, I'm pretty sure there will still be servants and slaves to a degree. So mm. it would still be an element of like, that's terrible. Mm. Oh, that's history for you. Um, but that's my pitch. That's my film. I think it'd be cool. I'd like to see it. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. I'm very intrigued. Like we said, it's a thing that's not really talked about and Barry Jenkins might just be the right person to kind of do that. I love it. Shit. I, I have a question. Please. And and this Where are all the white people now? <laughs> how, how, how am I supposed to relate to this movie? Yeah. yeah. Uh and this this could be a question that you answer from a historical point of view or from a like a script writing kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. What role do you see the wife playing? The queen? Yeah, the queen is very much that's a good question. because uh, historically, like everything, it's the question of, well, what do we know? Um now every a lot of, I mean, again, a lot of North African culture has always put strong prominence on female characters and individuals mm. um, in that they are viziers and advisors. And I always mention the statue I saw in Egypt of like uh, Ramesses and they have this uh, character and obviously it's much smaller because, you know, he's a god and she's a woman, that kind of thing. 
but it's that supporting hand on the leg because the idea that he will not fall back because his wife has him. Mm. She is also and, the, the strong voice of confidence. For a long while, like Islam was seen as a lot more generous to women. And that's the other thing. Yeah, we want to allow them more freedoms than Christianity did. Exactly. It's it's the progressive nature of like she's not his equal in that respect. We're not going full on complete cultural lens of contemporaryism. Mm. Um, but it would be like, no, 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 she's an important part of his council. She is the person he chose to spend his life with, and therefore he would absolutely listen to everything he said. You'd even have that moment of like Al Sahili coming in and it's like, I don't like this new guy. I don't like this new I don't like Mm. to spend so much time with this fucking poet. It's like he's a nice dude. Just let you know, and, and they, because that relatable, almost like you know, awkward familiar love triangle, and then like, actually they're all really nice to each other, and they have each other's back. They will have the mm. best interest. Um, so the role would be a very much a supportive one, in the same mm. way that Asahili would be the same thing. It's it's very much about. Uh, I would say this is very much going into that um, biopic thing. Well, it is a biopic, but the 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 dangerous territory of biopic, where we go away from uh, the uh the rougher edges shall we say and go no let's just talk about the good shit let's just mm-hmm. talk about this person being like a mythical could do no wrong kind of character because we haven't seen it before mm-hmm. so it's like what's the relationship with his wife it's good yeah. and they're friends and and they're not just like you know it's been arranged they're actually fucking friends mm. uh and they help each other and she has as much advice she'd be setting up things about the city's like i've got this idea for it but you know what i'll let you handle it that kind of thing that level of mm. involvement and uh, an element of equality that would be realistic to the time as mm. you say gives a very different portrayal of of islam at the time mm. as well because we see things like everything now people forget that a lot of people, when they, when they take their own agenda and say, oh, Muslims and Islam's like this. It's like, yeah, the extreme version. Mm. There's, a, there's a really, really hardcore mm. zealotry version. The same thing we fucking said for, for Christianity. If you judge yeah. all Christians by the KKK. Yeah, that's like, always the yeah, example. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. So anyway, so that's yeah, that's how I would probably do it from that point mm. of view. A, a bit of screenwriting, liberty taken. Oh, bit, yeah. A bit of historical, yeah. yeah. Tim? What have you got for us for the last pitch of things we all want to fucking see and annoy that don't exist? <laughs> I'm bringing us right bang up to date in the 1630s, mostly. Oh, close enough. With a with a, some bits going a little bit further back. I do oh. love the 1600s. Um, so interestingly, yes, I say I, I revealed this to Matt before we started. Oh, Matt has a unique connection to the topic of this film. Yeah, I'm not sure what I mean. He was born in the 1630s. I, again, I like the 1630s and, and 1600s. Sorry, but th- let's not let's not mm. let's dig into my past. It's shh, it's fine. Mm. Shh. So uh, uh, a, f- a film has been made mm. around this area of history. Yeah. But very much using it as a background. Yes. And I want to do something quite unique. I'm making a comedy film. Okay. Love it. Already, because already, we've got a really interesting sort of like uh, mythics... Uh, Hallucinatory. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mine's the sort of weird, enigmatic, legendary character sort historical of thing. Historical epic. Yeah. Vibes, and yeah. now we get comedy. I fucking, mm. God damn, boys. I love this it's podcast. people. Um, and it's basically going to be done like a mockumentary. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> fucking uh, seventh century of the office. Yeah, Brilliant. pretty much. <laughs> oh, Tim. Um, oh, no. So I, I, I'm going to kind of dance around the subject for a little while because I, I want to get the moment where Matt goes, oh! Get your, dance, <laughs> get your dancing shoes on, Tim. Again, much like Jack predicted, will my, oh, be, oh, or it'll be, yeah. 
Ah, oh, cool. Okay. <laughs> um, so the director uh, I've chosen for this is uh, Tony Ascender, oh. who has basically done <laughs> TV at this point. Okay. Um, but he is uh, one of the creators of one of my favorite shows of the past five years. I think that's about right. Mm. Uh, which was American Vandal. Which was uh, yeah, this, I've heard you talk about American yeah, Vandal. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. An absolutely amazing parody of like true crime documentaries. Hilariously funny. Uh, he's also worked on uh, a kind of sitcom thing called Dave mm-hmm. uh, and is currently uh, on uh, another mockumentary that's f- following a esports team. Players. Players. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm having this in 2024. Nice. So it's in a couple of years in the future. Mm-hmm. Basically, this is his like next project going from TV to film. Love this it. Thing. Um, and I've basically assembled a kind of murderer's row of comedy talent as a dream cast for this. I've got a mix of real historical figures who have mm-hmm. names and then uh kind of types essentially who I okay. haven't really given names even though they're the main characters. Um because they okay. I'd just be making the names up. They're, 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 oh no I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's almost arbitrary because Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've just given them kind of descriptions in this uh-huh. they would obviously have names in the thing but i didn't want to spend my time googling historically accurate names from the 1630s yeah, yeah. they're all gonna hear five seconds ago yeah. yes yeah yeah and I, I absolutely exactly. get where you come from uh so the title that i have for this film is a market for flowers <laughs> okay and it is about the tulip mania <laughs> In the Netherlands in the 1630s. <laughs> Brilliant. Christ. Okay. Um, I, I now see everything. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do, you want, do you want to explain your connection to this, Matthew? Yeah, I've been in a film about it. Yeah. Um, so uh, the tulip mania of a tulip fever is something that uh, swept across Netherlands. It made it, in addition to the amount of art that was on the walls everywhere, like the Rembrandt sort of stuff. Um, it was again a huge, huge economic time, where people were making insane amounts of money, and and uh, the Netherlands uh, was this weird, as it still kind of is in a strange way with its mm. with its fucking airport. I, I'll get into this in the pitch. But oh yeah, I don't want to ruin shit. I don't want to ruin yeah. shit. Sorry, yeah. But basically, I'm I'm connected to this because there was a film by Justin Chadwick, not a good director in terms of being a person, but some interesting films, <laughs> um, and it was about the tulip fever period with. Um, Alicia Vikander and Christoph Waltz and Dane DeHaan. The film was very troubled production. And when I was on set, I could fucking see why. <laughs> uh, and I was in it. And um, it's not good. <laughs> yeah. You, you were basically like an extra. I was indeed. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I did it. I was two days on set. Uh, each day went over by four hours. Uh, it was in a 30 degree heat. And we're all in wool clothes, mm-hmm. buttoned up to the neck with fireplaces next to us. It yeah. was excruciating. But the budget and the the production design, beautiful and amazing. I was like, this film hopefully will be really cool and turned out to be really fucking boring. Yes, massively delayed and uh, has the honour of being the last film distributed by the Weinstein Company. Yay! Yep! You lucky boy, Matthew. My claim to fame, everybody! Yep. Yeah, no, great, uh, yeah, great, great period of history to talk about. Mm-hmm. Poor film. It also currently has a 10% on Rotten Tomatoes. Of course it fucking does. Ooh. Not enough Matt Stockton. Um... 
Right. So I'll go through my cast. You go ahead. I've got the I've got the kind of archetypes first, and then the the named historical people. Bunch of dunch fuckers. Uh, so the upwardly mobile cobbler. <laughs> so, so what? So I told Tim, I have no idea what you guys are pitching. I scrolled past and I saw those <laughs> words written down. I was like, what the actual Sorry, fuck say, is say, Tim? Say that one time. The up- upward- upwardly mobile cobbler. Yes. As in, so he is a, a cobbler, a maker of shoes, mm. who is on the rise, essentially. He's, oh, yeah, he's, oh, right. Okay. Yes, his, his, his social standing is, exactly. is improving. He exclusively cobbles while on his tippy toes. <laughs> mm. Upwardly mobile. He's, he's he trading can levitate. Yeah. Yeah, okay. uh, and he is played by Zach Woods, um, who is best known for playing uh, Gabe in The American Office and uh, Jared in Silicon Valley. Oh, yes, uh, yes, yes. He's also in The Post, uh, had a small yeah. role in that. He he looks suitably 1600s Dutch. Yes. <laughs> is that a compliment? Nope. Or a... No, <laughs> just no. a statement. Um, just a fact. Of no, because Holland, wrong word for it, but the Netherlands, was a hub of all kinds of ethnicities from all around the world mm. so you get so much stuff there is amazing but yeah carry on, yeah carry on. yeah i've actually i've got a little bit of diverse casting in this just to, yes just because fuck it because no, that, that, that is accurate to the time period this is going to be very much like uh the death of stalin when nobody's bothering with accents Br- nice. brilliant i love that and they're doing their own accent probably except yeah. for some reason jason isaac's doing an northern accent yeah <laughs> why not yeah uh as his wife I uh, have Kirby Howell Baptiste. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was uh, Simone in The Good Place. Oh, uh, yeah. She yep. was Anita Darling in Cruella. Um, she had a small role in Killing Eve as Elena. She's about to blow up because she's going to be death in The Sandman. Yeah. yeah. Hell so, yeah. I'm excited. I want that. that series to be good. Yeah, yeah. me too. Big Sandman nerd. Uh, as the rich merchant, uh, I have Craig Roberts. Oh, nice. Probably best known as the lead role uh, in Submarine. Yeah. Uh, the Richard Ayoade film. Yeah, yeah. Um, was it also in The Double, which was another oh, Ayoade film. And uh, was in Red Oaks as the main character in that, which was an Amazon, like, 80s comedy kind yeah. of thing. Mm-hmm. Like Thomas Brody Sangster, he's a adult who looks 14 and like has a little boy forever, apparently. Mm. Yes. Good comic timing. Yes, mm. he's great. Uh, as his wife, I have uh, Sarah Burns, who is a kind of person who you will see and go, oh, yeah, I've seen her in stuff. <laughs> um, Quickly Google Sarah Burns. She's uh, in Big Little Lies. Uh, she uh, she actually has a connection because she was in American Van in the second season of American Vandal. Um, oh, her, yeah. Yeah, and uh, she's now. currently in Barry, uh, I believe. Yeah. Uh, as a Calvinist priest, <laughs> I have... <laughs> William H. Macy. Hey. Brilliant. Don't Obviously, need to Google that, motherfucker. Fargo. Yep. The Shoveler in Mystery Men. Frank Gallagher in the American version of Shameless. Mm. I, I'd, I'd like to hopefully assume he's got either a big-ass beard or a big-ass moustache or something. He's going to have, yeah. Yeah. Some kind of wild facial hair going on. Yeah. Uh, now, we, now we're going to get into some a- actual historical figures. Mm. This guy has the best name. Wooter Winkle. <laughs> <laughs> will be played by Matt Berry. Fucking hell, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> Nailing this. Douglas Renome in the IT crowd, Stephen Toast in Toast of London, etc. And, of course, Laszlo in What We Do in the Shadows. Holy shit. Buy my fucking bulbs, you piece <laughs> of shit. Exactly. They're premium. They'll turn to tulips soon. Yeah. Buy them. 
Buy them now. It's yeah, much. brilliant. Love yeah. it. Uh, as Adrian Pau, uh, Stephen Root. Ah, uh, Stephen Root. Brilliant. Uh, Milton from Office Space. Mm. Gordon from Dodgeball. Mm-hmm. Uh, plays Fuchs in Barry as well at the moment. Nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Carolus Clusius. That's a great name as well. Uh, yeah. Not Mark, quite Wootenwinkle, but yeah. not far off. Yeah. Uh, Mark Marin. Hey! Oh, young Stan Lee himself. Yes, probably <laughs> best known for his podcast WTF with yeah. Mark Maron. As one of the, being one a of the biggest comedian. podcasts in mm. the history of podcasts. Yeah, uh, starred as himself in a TV show called Maron. Yeah, yeah. Um, and remember then, that era where all the American comedians just did shows about themselves, fictional versions themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Was like, how weird. fictional is it? Yeah. Uh, weird. And then plays uh, Sam Sylvia in Glow. Yeah. Um, he's fucking brilliant in Glow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. brilliant in Glow. Uh, as Ogier Gizeline de Buzbeck, probably butchering that, but who cares? Sounds uh, good to me. Kumail Nanjani. Oh, Brilliant. yeah. Uh, this is a funny ass fucking yeah. cast. Yeah, I've got a lot of potential for him. Hell really yeah. Good. Considering, and uh, this is just me being a bit of a prick, considering I know what the subject of the time period is about, it's going to be fucking hilarious. Yeah. yeah uh, obviously, Dinesh in Silicon Valley. Played basically himself in The Big Sick, yeah. a film that was based on him and his wife's actual yep. relationship, uh, and the king, Kingo, in Eternals. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, as Mehmed II, David Dastmalchian, yeah. uh, Kurt uh, in Ant Man, one mm. of uh, Scott Lang's kind of Crim friends. criminal friends. Mm. Polka Dot Man in the Suicide Squad. Ah, yes. And yes. Uh, Peter DeVries in June, a very different role in yes. that. He's a really, he's great. Really solid actor. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And then finally, possibly my favorite bit of casting oh, oh. as Suleiman the Magnificent, Hannibal Burris. <laughs> <laughs> I, can, oh, I can see it. I can picture, oh. picture Hannibal Burris in an onion hat the size of a beanbag. <laughs> Is he still going to give the same sort of performance as the teacher in Spider-Man? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yeah. You mean Hannibal Burris. <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah. <laughs> that's also his stand-up, Matthew. That's yeah, I know. Yeah. That's his yeah. everything. I know. I know. So, we're going to my pitch. Um, the film primarily focuses on the fortunes of two married couples in the Netherlands in the 1630s. A skilled cobbler and his loving wife, who have recently emigrated to Harlem. Not Harlem in America. Harlem in the Harlem. Netherlands. Harlem. The mean streets of Harlem. It's got more yeah. A's in it, hasn't it? Like it's got two A's. Yeah. There we go. Uh, and the heir of a wealthy merchant and his overbearing wife, who are an established part of Harlem's wealthy elite. Very quickly here, just so people are like, oh, I wonder why it's called Harlem. What was New York called before it was New York? It was New Amsterdam. Yep. Figure it out, people. <laughs> loads, loads that Bronx is Dutch name. Yeah, like yeah, Long yep. Island is like a, a translation of like Lange Island and stuff. Yeah, like exactly. Yeah. Sorry, Tim. Carry on. No worries. Uh, both are involved in the tulip bulb trade. The cobbler and his wife are focused on the beauty of the flowers, and they're uh, hoping to raise some money for their kind of growing family. While the merchant and his wife are focused on the flowers as a status symbol and trading in the tulip futures market to amass wealth. People are dealing in bulbs. Yes. Bulbs yeah. and a certificate that says that when the bulbs come along, you will own a bulb and then trading that amongst other people mm-hmm. and trading it for yep. IOUs. I, I love where the comparison is going, Tim. Yes. <laughs> um, so after introducing the two couples, we travel back in time to the 1400s to track the journey of tulip bulbs east along the Silk Road from the Tian Shan Mountains in Central Asia to the Ottoman Empire 
where Mehmed II and Suleiman the Magnificent are among those who celebrate their beauty. So it's quite sh- small roles for uh, no, those two characters. That's as funny as fuck. Showing up and like, just, yeah. Being a king of Turkey. Exactly. <laughs> In the 1590s, we meet Ogier Gisellaine de Buzbek, uh, the Flemish ambassador to the Ottoman Empire, and Carolus Clusius, a doctor and botanist living in Vienna. The pair are friends, and Ogier introduces Carolus to Tulips after getting him a job at the Imperial Medical Garden. Carolus becomes obsessed with the plants and generously sends samples to other botanists across Europe, eventually taking many of his tulips with him when he moves to establish a botanical garden in the Dutch university town of Leiden. So that's all kind of done in these kind of it 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 I'm picturing it kind of the big short meets this is spinal tap kind of stuff. There's like yeah. explainers of what's going on and like how the trade is working and stuff yeah. like that. It's irreverent enough that you can get away with just literally breaking the fourth wall and showing a map and saying, okay, okay. I know it's confusing. Yes. See this is China, see this is the end of Europe. I know they're not very far up because it goes by here, by here, by here. And yeah. it's like Okay, and you follow me? Yes, thank you, Margaret Robbie. That kind of like... <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, okay, yeah. Um, meanwhile, we've been expanding the world of 1630s Netherlands, introducing characters like Wouterwinkel. Uh, Hello! Um, <laughs> I'm just going to say it now, Wouterwinkel, not just because of the name, is my favourite character. Break, breakout character. He's the breakout 2024. Star of, yeah, yeah. Jack uh, doesn't want kids, but I imagine one day there'll be a child who rocks up and says... Oh, we have to now be living together and say, well, they're going to be called Wouterwinkel if that's the case. <laughs> Only condition. Wouterwinkel Chambers Ward works well. Yeah, <laughs> it really does. <laughs> uh, so he is a tavern owner who is heavily involved in the tulip trade. Uh, Adrian Poor is a wealthy landowner and politician uh, and uh, our Calvinist priest who frowns upon the tulip trade, calling it idolatry. Mm. Uh, we explained the booming wealth of the Netherlands, powered by financial innovations and immigration bringing skilled craftspeople in, uh, and the social mores of the time, which were heavily influenced by the frugal Calvinist church. Yeah. Essentially, a lot of the stuff that wealthy people would traditionally spend money on, they kind of couldn't because it was so frowned upon by the church. But tulips, because they were made by God, that's It's fine. a natural thing. It's exactly. a beauty, surely. Which so goes br- back to the Ottoman Empire and stuff. Yeah had similar views on them like islamic there's kind of a prohibition against drawing um any figure representation of people or animals is exactly uh, yeah but tulips that's okay that's no problem stick a fucking tulip on everything yep as the tulip trade booms uh we explore key moments uh like adrian parr using a network of mirrors to make his tulip garden appear bigger (laughs) that's a real thing yeah yeah uh and growers (laughs) sleeping in their flower beds to catch potential thieves Fuck, the, the, it, I, it, I cannot this stress. This sounds hilarious. It's already. the most ridiculous. What? What? I mean, not ridiculous over Europe. Europe's been ridiculous in general, yeah. but one of the most ridiculous periods of like a very short time period where people went fucking mental for flowers. Yeah, and not just like, oh, they're already grown. I love it, the Chelsea Flower Show style. But like, <clears throat> bring me those bulbs. Yeah, and they better flower. How the ones like this is a dirty daisy, you bastard. <laughs> uh, when the cobbler's parents die in a bubonic plague outbreak. Uh, they decide to invest his inheritance in a crop of Swisters, which are yellow and red tulips. Oh, fancy. Uh, while the merchant's wife becomes increasingly determined to acquire a Semper Augustus, the rarest of all tulips. <laughs> uh, after Wouter Winkle dies in an embarrassing accident, brilliant. his children are sent to an orphanage. I'm very much picturing Matt Berry in full flow, 
and then just a smash cut to uh oh, some russian dead. russian doll stuff where it just like yeah. goes from talking to cuts to another scene it's like terribly died so horribly yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Uh, his children are sent to an orphanage and his bulb collection is set to be auctioned off to provide for their future. Speculation grows more and more intense and the value of the cobbler's swisters increases 12-fold in a single month from 125 guilders per pound to 1,500 guilders per pound Fuck at the me. top. <laughs> uh, this at a time when the average craftsperson could expect to earn 250 guilders in a whole year. Yeah. It, it was nonsense money stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, the cobbler and his wife are offered increasingly extravagant IOUs, but decide not to sell, instead determined to collect their bulbs and start a tulip bed of their own. Meanwhile, the merchant and his wife have created a complex web of transactions amongst their wealthy neighbours, with some contracts changing hands five times over. On the 5th of February, 1637, Wouter collection goes up for auction with many private sales taking place beforehand and the public able to peruse a 124-page watercolour catalogue showing off his bulbs. Mm. By the end of the day, his orphans have earned 90,000 guilders in cash <laughs> <laughs> and the merchant and his wife have finally got a contract for a Semper Augustus paying 5,000 guilders. Mm. Five days later, the market collapses, with some varieties dropping in value by 95% over the next few months. Various causes are blamed, from runaway speculation to an early bloom of this year's crops, upsetting supply and demand. Everyone starts taking everyone else to court, determined to either avoid or collect on the various contracts. Eventually, the wealthy elite who make up most of these, uh, most of those caught up in the boom, agree to nullify many of the contracts, with buyers having to pay as little as 3% of the money that they had promised. While the economy at large isn't impacted too much, the Calvinist preachers stir up a moral panic, chastising investors as lazy and spreading pamphlets that exaggerate the story of the tulip mania. Catching up on our two couples as the hubbub subsides, the merchant and his wife have switched to collecting art, including a piece that depicts the tulip traders as monkeys hurling their own poop. <laughs> <laughs> a real thing. Again, everybody, yeah. Meanwhile, the cobbler and his wife are still stuck in relative poverty, but enjoy the beauty of their small patch of tulips. The various parties involving uh, the various parties involved strain to find meaning in the tulip mania, with the cobbler's wife eventually settling on, "I just think they're nice flowers." Ah, <laughs> oh, goddamn! Three movies that I genuinely would love to watch, and they're so different. Uh, yeah, I'm amazed how different we all are. Yeah. The three of us are very different in our approach anyway. But yeah, of like, course, of course. These are three... The only connection I can really think of is our kind of like, as a religious mission kind of pilgrimage oh, kind yeah, of yeah, thing. Yeah. Like, apart from that, there's really not much connectivity going on no. in a good way. But yeah. No, it's, it's, it's great. And I think even then... Even on these three bits of, of history, we are still in one small pocket of the world. And these are three stories that hopefully yourselves listening to them and thinking, shit, that sounds awesome. It's like, I'd have a weird, amazing, cool, transcendental time with, with Jax. I'd have a cool, like, eye-opening experience with mine and a hilarious experience like, ah, NFTs. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> nice fucking tulips. Yeah. Jack is pointing at his yeah. yeah. No, I, I again I find the six hundred is fascinating and, and and Tulip Mania is such a hilarious it's I, I think the only thing 
I would say if I was to not in any way change yours, the only thing I'd offer is like, because I don't think your director is in any way a bad shape at all. I think it's a great shout. Mm. Only thing I'd say is Ianucci is also a good option. But yeah. even <laughs> then, I don't. I think that's a an old hat response. I think you've gone for a very mm. new wave thing, and I think this is definitely the right right course to take. Um, but no, I think I think it would be so funny, relevant, and 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 again, one of those examples we mentioned earlier of how period films can be used to talk about our time period now, making it relatable, perhaps how stupid it is, and only because you end up saying like, "That's dumb." It's like no, no one would be that fucking stupid now. It's mm. just flowers. Like, really? Do you <laughs> like your eight pictures? You yeah. fucking idiot. Um, no, these all sound fantastic and um, different genres, different takes, different. Um, different countries especially different types of stories so yeah and again it's just scratching the surface yeah um and all i think all of them actually really interestingly have i think the only thing that's the 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 the, the theme i guess running through them inadvertently is interconnectivity Mm. and realizing how everything around you is connected in a way you may not have thought so even though we're doing things about time periods and nations that we don't need hear a lot about filmically speaking it's almost saying like yeah but we're not saying that about this one place or we're talking about a snapshot of a time period of some people operating a certain way for a reason so yeah i i think this has been a really interesting i mean i love all the interseason discussions you know but <laughs> this has been a very interesting one when tim said earlier very excited to hear where we're going with this one yeah and again as was foretold i am now fucking angry yeah <laughs> yeah because you should be angry too, listeners. The film industry is robbing you of good <laughs> yeah. experiences. And if anyone's saying like, well, how would I fix this? Watch different movies. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy the MCU. Enjoy the blockbusters. Watch a fucking Minions film if you want to. But if a weird ass mm, film, yeah, film comes along, we think that might be interesting. Watch it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the only way they'll make more of them. We keep getting them released exclusively on streaming. And that is not going to allow them to grow and build and stuff yeah it's a yeah it's a whole issue so if you have any other ideas as we said we've scratched the fucking surface of the tip of the iceberg of this whole thing so any other ideas please do let us know if you would like to fund any of these films and have a spare <laughs> few million dollars lying Are around you an eccentric millionaire My, mine's the cheapest um then it's please do, please do let us know <laughs> hopefully there's some just unknown like billionaire just big fan of sequels like you know what actually that sounds like a great idea let's give these boys a bunch of money please yeah that'd be <laughs> great please do let us know distant billionaires out there you can contact us on social media we are of course sequelizers on twitter and instagram you can go to sequelizers.com you can get the discord you can get the live streams you can get the shop you can get the little bios about the three of us and all of our social media links and stuff mm. in there as well. It's a hub of information for everything sequelizers, basically. You can go and get our lovely new t-shirt. You can get our lovely new pin badge. They are both very cool, high-quality stuff. We, As we've said before, we really try and make sure they are the highest quality. They are climate-positive, eco-friendly, vegan printing, all that kind of stuff for our t-shirts. And basically trying to make it all organic cotton, anti-sweatshop, all that kind of stuff. They are super comfortable. I'm getting good reviews from people saying they don't fade in the wash. Of Some of the <laughs> listeners have had them and washed them a couple of times. So yeah, highly recommend if you do want to get some merch, get the new t-shirt. It is 
fantastic. Mm. Of course, designed by the one and only John Scarrett as well, mm. as only he can. And and our amazing pin badges as well. The pin badges are very cool too. Yeah. Very cool. They are cutouts of our logos, not the like the little circular kind of pin badge kind of thing. It's proper enamel badge of the cutout of our logo. High quality. Exactly. Good. With two clasps on the back for extra security. Oh yes. And the little sequelizer slogan on the back there printed into the metal. It's mm. very very cool. So yeah, you can get all of that, like I said, at sequelizers.com. I am at JLW Chambers on all the social medias. If you want to come and listen to me talk about SEO and digital marketing and stuff, you can find Search with Canda on whatever podcast platform you're listening on right now, pretty much. Mm. That's how that works. Matthew, how can people follow you on the internet? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z. You can go to cheesemint.com and see the things that I make. You can go to theredrighthand.co.uk, read my reviews. You can also search for the BBG Wrestling channel and look for Sumo Drop, which is me and my wife and sometimes Fox, covering sumo wrestling. Tim, if I was to look for a period of history from a very specific, very enigmatic individual, and I wanted a fairly good chronicling of all his stuff, where could I go? You can find the modern day Samuel Peeps at <laughs> trivia <laughs> underscore lad on Twitter. Uh, that's where I talk about the big fires and plagues that are going on in my bedroom. It's often how we describe you, Tim. True. The modern Samuel Peeps. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Like I said, next week we'll be back with a Patreon voted episode mm. so patrons if you've seen the poll you already know it's coming up it's a very interesting topic we'll be back very soon thank you very much for listening and have a lovely week mm.